tip today in association with Slattery's of Pecan, your main Peugeot dealer for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome along to Tip Today, 1800-938-007. That's our free phone number. Won't cost you to make a call. Emma is looking after the programme today. Coming up on the show this morning, we hear from our listeners on the state of our health service and indeed road safety as well. More listeners sharing their stories about St. Anthony. We have Global Politics with Thomas Conway. Our GP, Dr. Pat Harold, will speak to us today about the rise in sexually transmitted infections and uh, Susan O'Donnell who our psychotherapist will be with us to chat about exploring and understanding uh, bullying. So all of that and much, much more on the way. As ever, you can uh, text and WhatsApp 83 and you can email tiptoday at tipfm.com. Quick look at what's making headlines in your newspapers today. There's images of a very grumpy and very serious-looking Donald Trump right across the newspapers today. The Irish Times telling us that Donald Trump uh, arrived at uh, New York Court uh, just uh, a few miles south of Trump Tower yesterday for the first day of a fraud trial that could see the former US president and his family business paying hundreds of millions of dollars in damages that has already threatened to end his business career in the city where it all started of course. Also on the Times today, Garden Management is prepared to order members to work overtime if required and has assured the government that ongoing industrial dispute will not have any major impact on frontline policing. Now you'd wonder how that could be the case but uh, as you know from today uh, members of the GRA the Guard Representative Association which uh, represents 11,000 members of the 14,000 strong force will refuse to undertake voluntary overtime. Now that story has continued to some degree uh, on the front of the Irish Mail but they're telling us that Helen McEntee the Justice Minister has been warned that she has a week to avert a full-blown crisis in the Justice Department as criticism mounts from coalition allies, Gardaí and of course the legal fraternity as well. But the Justice Minister is fighting fires on a number of fronts at the moment and risks losing the support of the regional independents whose votes are key to keeping the government in power. And of course Tipperary's Michael Lowry, part of that particular grouping. The Irish Examiner and uh, their main story, a rather worrying one as well, cases of potentially fatal invasive Group A streptococcus disease are 4.5 times higher than expected this year with young children particularly affected. The Health Protection Surveillance Centre said now this uh, unusual surge may be linked to ongoing impacts from pandemic disruption to normal disease patterns and is being seen right across Europe. On the front of the examiner today as well, we hear that two main pillars of the country's justice system uh, begin industrial action today with the criminal barristers and uh, Gardaí withdrawing services to varying degrees amid ongoing disputes. And finally, a look at the Irish Independent. And, uh, yeah, they're referencing the budget today. Social welfare increases of at least €12 Euro per week and a lump sum payments of the fuel allowance are at the centre of budget negotiations. A double 
Payment of all welfare rates in the lead-up to Christmas is also expected and a number of revenue-raising measures are also being discussed, including an excise hike on cigarettes, increased uh, taxes on e-cigarettes and a possible 0.1% PRSI increase. And uh, in other budget areas, the rent tax credit for tenants could be raised from 500 to 750 euros. So that's what's making headlines in your newspapers today. Do you want to make comment on any of that? And if you do, we'd love to hear from you. And uh, again, that text and WhatsApp is 0833113311. On our social media platform today, we've put up a query really, just to get your uh, reaction to the news yesterday from Michal Martin that we are going to expand our training of Ukrainian uh, troops. And uh, the Taunashta was asked how rifle training did not count as lethal aid. Now, you'll be doing far better than me if you could make head or tail of what his answer to that was. Just to remind you again, the question he was asked was, how rifle training did not count as lethal aid. And he says, in the context of any group that's established to try and defend their territory, I would argue that that's in accordance with the UN Charter. Now, that doesn't answer the question for me. In fact, it just makes it all rather rather um, uh, difficult to understand. Anyway, how do you feel about that? I mean, you know, where our neutrality is concerned, do you think we should be expanding our uh, training of Ukrainian troops? Again, 0833113311. Now, we spoke to listeners Donal and Mary yesterday about the state of our health system and those who have been failed by our health services. Uh, Brenda joins me now. Brenda, good morning to you. Good morning. And good to talk to you today, Brenda. You have... A great story and you have a bad story. Let, let's start with the great story, first of all, and it involves the hospital in Croom, doesn't it? That's right, yes. I had a left knee replacement in June. And honestly, I was there for about six days. Mm-hmm. It was like being in a hotel. Honestly, it was. They were fantastic. The food was brilliant. The staff were brilliant. It was just so brilliant. Really, um, there was no... Um, everything was it was just an, an amazing experience. <clears throat> now, that, that hospitalisation was by appointment, I guess, was That's it? That's right. Yes. yes. Okay. It is, um, it is by appointment at Croom, yes. But then um, I was taken to Limerick, <clears throat> excuse me, at 1am in the morning. Um, earlier this year or late last year, I can't remember exactly when, mm. Mm. Um, because I had a very bad asthma attack. I arrived at Limerick. I was assessed, and then I was put to sit in a waiting room with about 50 other people. Just give me the times on that. What time did you Uh, arrive in the hospital? um, I arrived at the hospital probably about 1.45. In the morning? In the morning, in the morning, yes. There were about 50 people there, and um, we were all just sitting in the waiting room waiting. No nurses came through. There was a bunch of what looked like um, maybe trainee doctors. Mm-hmm. at the nurse station, just standing around, talking. Um, a couple of them were on their phones. Nobody saw anybody. We were told we would only be seen by the doctors after 10 o'clock. Um, uh, eventually, I just couldn't take it anymore. At about, I think about 9, 9.30, I just got up and walked out. Nobody asked me where I was going. Nobody said anything. So you had been there for about seven hours at that, uh, t- mm-hmm. at that stage? Without anybody else except the nurse who 
when I came in, took my blood pressure. That was all she did. Mm. And nothing else. Nothing about my asthma, nothing about me backing to breathe, nothing. I just used my pump the whole time I was there. Um, in the morning, I think at about 7 o'clock, somebody came around and gave us all a cup of tea and a slice of toast. And then we were told just to stay sitting. <clears throat> and you, you were on a chair for all of that time, were you? Yeah, I was sitting on the chair the whole time, yeah. There were um, a couple of stretches, not very many. And most of the people were, were taken off stretches and put to sit on the chair. Um, and that was it. Eventually, I got up, walked out, walked around the corner, got the bus home. At that, that evening, at about quarter to five, I think, somebody phoned me and said to me, where are you? We're looking for you. I said, I'm already at home. And they said, why did you leave? I said, because I couldn't just sit there the whole day and do nothing. Nobody was bothering but how dangerous was that for you to leave, Brenda? I mean, you had you had an asthma attack. That's right, yes. But I thought I'd be better off at home. You know, where at least I had a nebulizer that I could access immediately if I needed it because um, nobody was doing anything for me in the hospital. And there was another person there too with a child. And the child was also having an asthma attack. And nobody did anything. The child just sat there. Go, go go back to what you said about the staff, because I keep hearing on this program that the staff are absolutely wonderful and fantastic and they're flat out working and really the issues are with management and the like. It's, it sounds like your experience wasn't quite that now. No, it wasn't. And um, I mean, I come from a medical background, so I'm not um, being funny or horrible or anything, but honestly, when you stand around at the nurse's station and you're just chatting and you're not doing anything and you've got your stethoscopes around your neck and you're in your white coat and you're just standing there doing nothing, that's not wrong. And were they on a break or something? Or were... No, they couldn't have been on a break the whole time. Because where I was sitting, I could see the nurse's station very easily. And and some some of the people hanging around the nurses' st- uh, station, there were they doctors, did you say? Were well, they... they looked like doctors, yes. Because they had stethoscopes. They identified themselves, but I mean, it's very seldom that anybody just walks in and put a stethoscope around their neck. It's it's, it's an interesting angle you're coming from because, as I say, we normally hear stories that, well, the nurses and the doctors are flat out and they're doing amazing work, but they're completely Mm -hmm. overwhelmed by the numbers. Yeah. Well, that, that, that was my experience, you know. And, and you have a medical background yourself, you said, Brenda. Yes, I do, yes. Yeah. So, um, you know, for me, it was not the way I would have seen it. I mean, I'm, I was a paramedic. I was a paramedic for almost 30 years. Right. So, and, um, and those people hanging around the nurse's station, could yeah. could they have been more active? or I mean, can you understand why they weren't engaging with patients, for example? No, I can't understand. No, I don't know. Because they should have been engaging with patients. Otherwise, what were they doing there? I don't know. I mean, you know, I, I understand that junior doctors work very long hours, but um, you know, why weren't they seeing patients? Why did they have to wait for the consultants to come in the next morning? Because that's what they told us. Because I presume, I presume for an asthma attack, you didn't need a consultant. You just needed no. some medical care. That's correct. Yeah. 
What would you normally have for an acute asthma attack? Like, would you? Um, normally, you would be given a nebulizer, um, and if really bad, you know, they would also give you a steroid, maybe a steroid injection, you know, to assist. <coughs> right. So, yeah. I, I mean, as far as I can see, a junior doctor could have, could have written, could you know, organised that. Could they not? Yes, the nurse could have done that. I feel that what could happen is what mama is maybe if a couple of nurses, because and the nurses, are, their hands are tied. You know, they can't do more than what their job description is. And if they do, then they get um, disciplined. So if they were taken and trained up as nurse practitioners, which is just a higher level, um, I think that would help a lot. And did it seem to you that there was a lack of supervision? I mean, just somebody who would give the orders, really, and say, you do this, you do that. Was that missing from the floor? Um, yeah, now that I, you know, I think about it, yes. Because there were three nurses available. And they were just seeing the patients that were coming in and bringing them in. But nobody was ever being called out of the waiting room. They were only bringing more people in. So, um, you know, everybody was just sitting. But I feel that if there had been nurses that were trained up, you know, as pa nurse pa uh, practitioners, it would have made the situation a lot easier. All right. Uh, well, it was good to talk to you. I'm, I'm glad you had a very good experience where Croom was I'm concerned. I'm like that in January, yeah. Yeah. you know, for my other knee. So, um, yeah. you know, I'm really looking forward to going to Croom. It really is a wonderful hospital. All right, Brenda. Well, good to talk to you today, and thanks very much indeed for sharing that uh, with us uh, today. Eighteen hundred nine three eight double o seven. The text and WhatsApp is only three three double one double three double one. Listen says on. Uh, uh, have only had one occasion where I had to go to A&E in Limerick and the staff bent over backwards to help. They were run off their feet under serious pressure, uh, but at uh, all times polite and caring as well. Somebody else saying, Emmy Hall Martin had some neck calling rifle training non-lethal. A rifle uses bullets and they can be lethal. He needs to go to the country at this stage and ask the Irish citizens how they feel about this uh, situation. But you're in every single poll. We know how Irish citizens feel about it. More than 60% of Irish people um, want us to hold firmly to neutrality. You know, and, and I agree with you. I mean, if, if you're training people to use rifles, uh, how is that non-lethal uh, training? You know, I... I I just don't know. Uh, Fran, the way things have gone so far, this coalition government is going to be wiped clean in the elections, says Declan. Well, I'm not sure. I mean, you know, it depends on how people feel, I suppose, about the budget that is coming up as well. We'll stay with the topic of uh, health care. And uh, Catherine was in touch with us and uh, joins us now. Catherine, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed. Good to talk to you today, uh, Catherine. You have some issues about how... Excess deaths have been reported in mainstream media, Catherine. Yes, I have, Fran. Um, I suppose, really, my understanding of excess deaths in any uh, country are what would be over and above the expected mortality rate, say, for a five-year period. Yes. And so that would go from 2018 to 2023. And um, really, um, the... 
the, the, the ONS in England at the moment, right, uh, for weekending the 15th of September is 2.9% above the expected rate. Is that but September of this year? September of this year, okay. yes. Yeah. And it has been quite uh, much higher than that. But then there's another uh, data, it's our world in data. Mm-hmm. And apparently for the first 30 weeks of this year, uh, the UK has had 36,000 more deaths than the expected norm. And in America, it's 147,000. And Canada and New Zealand are way up. Canada is um, Australia's 18% excess deaths over the norm. And, um, and what, are you reading, is, what are you reading into that, Catherine? Well, I, 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 that's what I'm trying to find out. Ireland um, is very, very high. They have a 27% excess death rate. And um, I, I actually don't know what is causing it, but I suppose at the beginning of the pandemic, uh, every day we had the deaths on the television, in the newspapers. Yeah. 100 people died today, 50 people died today. And yet there is no investigation at all into why these excess deaths are happening in any of the countries. Um, now, this, this is all official data, and it appears that um, the only thing they can come up with is that um, the countries with the highest uptake of the COVID vaccine have the highest rates of excess deaths. And say, you in Northern European countries, uh, they're quite a good bit lower, where there was a lower uptake of the vaccine. And I'm just wondering about our own Central Statistics mm. Office. Um, have they come out with, with any figures at well, all? Well, the particular figures that you're mentioning there in terms of the relationship between countries that had the most vaccination and, and you're saying they're having the most mortality as well. To the best of my knowledge, that theory has been sort of rubbish because I think it was based, Catherine, on a single month. And the statisticians came out and said that you couldn't possibly reach that kind of conclusion over that period of time. Well, this data is coming from a very uh, reliable source, as I understand it. Our world in data shows the data for every country in the world for 21, 22 and 23. So Mm. are they saying then that their data is wrong as well? Well, what they're saying is that that particular claim that you're making there, and I know that's been made all over social media and on certain media outlets as well, but seemingly, now don't shoot the messenger here, Catherine, but seemingly that's, that's based on a single month um, back in 2022. Um, so that's my understanding. And what they're saying is that correlation is not causation where this is concerned. And now they are coming out to say it needs more investigation, but it needs to be over a longer period of time with more data. So... Where then is the data or the data coming from for 21, 22 and 23? Yeah, you see, somebody has to compile it all. <coughs> somebody has to do all of that. Yeah. Of course, and yeah. it appears to be there from our mm. world in, in, in data or data, whichever mm. way you like to call it. Well, could, could I put um, it to you? Because I, I, I was speaking to Antu about this recently and they have concerns, as you know, over the excess debts in this country. Um, but um, Patrick Tobin, he was telling me that possible cause has to be the fact that services were restricted during COVID 
um, appointments were cancelled, and particularly where cancer care was concerned, and just people are dying because of that. More people are dying. Would that hold anything for you, Catherine? Um, that's uh, obviously that's a possibility, and there probably would be some um, uh, mortality because because of that. Um, it's I I I actually you know I I can't see why it would be so high because because of of the lockdown and that really, um you know and a lot of the mortality even in by age group I mean it's it's in every age group from zero to twenty four is way up. 25 to 49, which you would expect mainly to be a healthy age group, and 0 to 24s, 50 to 69s, they're all up uh, excessively in 21, 22 and 23. So, you know, particularly the younger age group, Fran, mm-hmm. I, you know, healthy people, normally healthy people, yeah. and I remember, I remember you speaking to somebody there a couple of weeks ago, I think she was uh, in cancer care or you, something. You did right. I was just going to uh, talk mm. about that, Catherine. Mm. Yeah, she's involved mm. in North Tipperary Hospice. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I found that very interesting, what she said. Yeah, yeah and she rem- she spoke about, and you actually, you said strange cancer. She's mm. coming across very strange cancer. And in, yo- in younger people, yeah. In younger, in younger people, yeah. And you to hear anecdotal evidence of, say, a lot of people that appear quite healthy and all of a sudden, within weeks, there actually have passed away from some form of cancer or other. Yeah, and Catherine, you sound like a reasonable person to me that wouldn't normally jump to sort of conspiracy theories or something. I certainly wouldn't, So this is something that is just of grave concern to you and you think it needs investigation? It, it, it bothers me a bit that, you know, there is no investigation into the excess debts that we have now compared to when we were in the COVID uh, stage where every day it was on the papers and, you know, every mainstream media had it on. Now there's no one speaking about it. Now, I do know there's going to be um, a debate in the English Parliament on the 20th of October. They've eventually got a debate there on excess debts. So that will be very interesting to see how that will go. Mm. But... um, yeah, I just feel it does need more investigation. Mm. And I think, you know, the fact that they're saying that uh, COVID lockdowns is responsible for it all, I find that one kind of hard to believe, to Do be honest with you. And I'm certainly not a conspiracy theorist. And, and I know that, and, and you're a very reasonable person, as I can hear. But do, do you not think that, you know, because services, health services were so restricted during that time that cancers maybe weren't spotted in time or heart disease mightn't have been spotted in time and other conditions as well. Does that sort of mm. make some as sense? I, as I say, particularly probably in some cases, Fran, but, yeah. um, you know, this, this, this sudden deaths now are, you know, every yeah. day you take up the paper, you know, you see young teacher dies suddenly, young athlete dies suddenly, mm. young footballer dies suddenly. It's it seems to be, you know, quite mm. a huge increase so now. So, come, come on, t- tell me your thoughts on it then, Catherine. I actually don't know. Mm. Um, I couldn't say for certain. I'm just, it, it is strange, and as you, as you said, you know, correlation is not causation. Mm. It is strange that the countries with the highest uptake of vaccines mm. now appear to have the highest um, mortality rates. Mm. 
Well, as, oh, yeah. as I say, you know, that did make headlines on social media mm, with certain mm, certain mm. aspects of right-wing media and stuff. But, you know, it, it, it seems to not make sort of mathematical sense because it was based on, on a single four-week period. Yeah. Yeah. I can't understand how it could be based on a four-week period, Pan, or Fran, with all due respect. If, mm. if our world in data is correct, it's dealing with... 21, 22 and 23 and the data is there for anyone that wishes to look at it. I'm not a statistician Mm -hmm. but uh, to reading the data it appears that there is a big increase in mortality. Um, So yeah, so that's just my opinion. And in terms of, I mean, we're still still awaiting uh, a report on how we dealt with COVID and, you know, the, the rights and wrongs of it and maybe what we learned from it and all of that. Um, we could do with that pretty soon, couldn't we? Mm, we absolutely could. And sometimes you see these reports, they they happen or these investigations happen five and six years after the yeah, event, yeah. which really then people, you know, <laughs> they generally have forgotten or some people would have forgotten about what went yeah. on during COVID. But e- even when you said to me there about, you know, the amount of people dead that we heard about every day, I had forgotten about that. Yeah, and of course we got those mm. figures every single day, didn't we? We, we we did we did, and I suppose the other thing, uh, Fran, you know, when 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 we when COVID was in the beginning of COVID, uh, everyone was told to you know get the vaccine to protect the elderly, which was the yeah. mantra, yeah. which which everybody did, I'm assuming, and particularly to stop transmission. Mm. Now it's it's been proven, uh, that's my understanding of it, that uh, the vaccine don't actually stop transmission. Mm. They're promoting it now to say, you know, it will help to protect you from serious illness and hospitalisations. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, are you saying that you know, that sort of narrative changed along the way? Is that is that what you're talking? Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Well, I suppose it had to change because apparently the vaccine didn't stop transmission. Mm-hmm. And I suppose if you think about, um, say, the digital pass or whatever the COVID vaccine Mm. digital pass I mean it it was said you know that you can't go on holidays because you will pass on the virus without being vaccinated Mm. and then you know now we found out that uh, it didn't stop transmission and you wonder about those digital COVID passes what were they for I suppose I don't know maybe they thought at the time that it did stop transmission and now maybe they're realising that that's it what didn't. That's what they're saying, that we were in a sort of a war zone um, place, I suppose, and that people were learning literally uh, as as the COVID was, was sort of making its way through the various populations. And, you know, they were yeah. Im- improving the science as they were. Now, again, don't shoot the messenger here. I'm just saying what they would probably say to you, Catherine, you know. You, you oh, said something true. else interesting to us in... Um, in your correspondence with us, um, you you have issues obviously with mainstream media not discussing this. Why do you think that is the case, Catherine? Well, uh, if you go back again to the beginning of COVID, uh, there was no other narrative ever. There was no other. There was never an open debate 
about, you know, maybe this is what's happening, maybe here's what we should do. There was no debate about nutrition, about the benefits of vitamin D. It was all about just get the vaccine, get the vaccine. Mm. You know, if you have a general election next year, Fran, you're going to have, say, Fianna Gael, Fianna Fáil, Mm. Sinn Féin, all of them, you know, in open debate about what should happen and what they would do. But that was not allowed at all during the COVID pandemic. Uh, it was just, and, you and know, could I put it to you that where where the media were concerned, and I mean I have to include Tip FM in this as well. We were at the time listening to the science, Catherine, and we were told that people's lives were in danger, and that the only way that we could mitigate that in some way or protect people was with this. Uh, vaccination and uh, the other rules and regulations that were imposed around the time of COVID. Could you see the point of that? You know, that, I mean, I'm not a scientist, but, you know, if I'm told that the only way to protect people is to... To have the vaccine. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And then I suppose then, you know, you, you, you the, at the time then there were very eminent scientists and very eminent doctors yeah. throughout the world mm-hmm. who had different opinions. And they, their their views were closed down completely, and I think we are we were all aware of that that people lost their jobs in America, Canada, Australia, highly eminent people, and I just you know that's kind of um, upsets me a little bit that mm-hmm. that you're not allowed to have a different opinion to the official narrative. And does it concern you as well, Catherine, that if you bring up these opinions with somebody or with a group of people, you're pointed at as being a conspiracy theorist? And you know, um, uh, I don't know because my 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 thing, Fran, is you know I allow people to make their own decisions, yeah, yeah. and I suppose if if I'm asked for an opinion on it, then I will give my opinion, and everyone else should be are, and are entitled to their opinion. Yes. This is what I'm saying, that a lot of any opinion that didn't, you know, adhere to the to the narrative, to the official narrative. Would you think me very rude, Catherine, if I asked you, did you take the vaccination? I didn't take the vaccine, no. And you don't so, mind me asking you that, obviously. Uh, no, not at all. No, no, no. I, I made I made a, a very uh, well informed decision, and uh, I I continue to, I suppose, do what I can to protect my health in every way with vitamin D and good nutrition. Mm. And I go back again to that. There was no mention of good nutrition and how to keep your immune system well boosted throughout all of this. We never heard yes. anyone speak about and did that. You, did you avoid COVID? I, well, now, I will be totally honest with you. I thought I had a sinus infection and I asked my GP for the uh, prescription for the sinus antibiotic or no, it's probably an antibiotic mm, I suppose yeah. and she said Catherine I would prefer if you'd go and have a COVID test which I did do and um, apparently I was diagnosed with COVID. I actually didn't know I had it. I had a slight headache in one side of my head and I was told yeah you have COVID. Mm. So thank God that was that and um, I haven't looked back since. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I haven't I haven't had the flu vaccine ever in my life. I've never got a flu. I did once about 20 years ago. Yeah. And I could be telling you this now, Fran, and I could end up tomorrow morning with the flu. Yes, of course, <laughs> or, and any, or, or any of us could. But, but no, yeah. you're, ver- you're very honest mm-hmm. with, with me, Catherine, and I appreciate mm-hmm. that. I really, really do. We were delighted to have your opinion, Catherine, and uh, thanks very much for for coming on with us uh, today and we'll certainly keep an eye on those uh, figures I'll have another look at that but as I say when I knew you were coming on this morning I had a look at that particular statement that was out there all over the place Um, Mm. but some of the powers that be seem to be rubbishing it and saying that it's based on a uh, too small um, uh, an amount of time but but there you go good to talk to you Catherine you mind yourself anyway thank you likewise thank you thank you bye 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 Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie. Yeah, listeners taking issue and saying the vaccine was never advertised that it would stop a transmission. It was always used to prevent people from getting seriously sick. Do you know, I'd have to contradict you on that. And certainly, I remember at the time being so delighted that a vaccine was found for COVID because we were all terrified. And certainly the impression that I had, or maybe it's just me, the impression I had at the time was that it would stop transmission. Um, and it wasn't just a case that it would prevent us from just from getting seriously ill. That, that was my impression at the time, and I could well be be wrong about that. But again, you know, let me put it out to listeners out there and see how you feel about that. Um, Pat is in Rothgray, and he says, Fran, what that lady said um, about hospital staff standing around doing nothing is totally on the mark. There is nothing but incompetence in the HSE. I've been attending an oncology clinic regularly for the past three years. I received a, a letter last week asking, did I wish to stay on the waiting list for treatment? And if I failed to reply, my name would be taken off the consultant's register. And that's Pat in Ross Gray. Um, Joe says, I believe the sickness and deaths are caused by our food. Um, It's poisoned by chemicals. I recently found out that our crops are sometimes sprayed with, and it mentions a particular um, product, um, to help with harvest. I thought I was being healthy, eating an apple a day, and then I discovered that all the apples in the shops uh, may have been picked up to 15 months previously and are waxed and sprayed with chemicals to preserve them. We haven't a chance, says Joe. Somebody else saying, Fran, I think most nurses work so hard and with great compassion, but I do know of a nurse in, <clears throat> and it mentions a particular hospital, who, when she's on night shift, has her own jobs done rather than helping her colleagues, and then she goes for a sleep. That's a fact, because I worked there. Where is the management? Says uh, one of our listeners. And uh, somebody else saying Irish healthcare will soon be the very best in the world, because seemingly we have 700 doctors and engineers every week coming from mid-Africa, and that's according to Leo, it says here. So that's something to look forward to. Anyway, that's just a taste of what's been uh, coming into us over the last uh, half an hour or so. 1800-938-007. I think we're, we're going to Paul, I think, Emma, are we? I think we are. Paul, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. Uh, good to talk to you today, Paul. And again, it's on health service. Do you think we need more frontline staff, Paul? Is that it? We do. We do, actually. I mean, 
what I don't understand is I was just looking at it and it's in the news that uh, basically it's at a 1.1 billion overall. Yeah. That's a lot of, that's a lot of money. Yeah. You know, when you yeah. think about it. Uh, and that's and, on top uh, of a record amount of money they got in last year's budget, you know? so Yeah, but again, you have to ask the question is where is this money going? Mm. You know, I mean, and, and I've, I've said it before, every county needs a hospital. Yeah. And some counties need two. I know Dublin has three or four, but then the, the bell quarter population is there, so that's that's one thing. But Tipperary needs two. Mm. And, and every hospital we have should have, well, not a centre of excellence, but uh, an A&E that can deal with what most A&Es would face. Yeah, I was just going to ask you for clarity on that. So when you say Tipperary deserves two, are you, you're talking about a full-blown hospital here with full services, A&E, all of that. Is that, is that it? Yes. Yes, I mean, but think about it. If you're in a situation where uh, you're in Ross Cray and you you, uh, you have an accident, mm. okay, you go as far as Nina and they say, oh, well, no, we're closed, now go on to Limerick. Mm. Whereas if you had one in the North Tip, or even better still, Ross Cray has just had a new primary care centre opened. Mm. Uh, if they had an X-ray technician there and an X-ray machine, so you could say, okay, the kid fell out of the tree, you told him not to climb. Up you go, get your x-ray, and they say, ah, no, it's soft tissue damage. There's your your your, uh, your sling or whatever it is. Or no, that's the break. Here's your x-ray. Go on down to the hospital. You have your x-ray. They can deal with it. So to make it efficient, you're saying? To make it efficient, it? yeah. Yeah. You know, basically, make use of what we have. And basically, uh, plus, if we're, if we're overrunning on money, Maybe we should be paying our staff. But the nurses aren't well paid. That's why That's why you can't get them here. Mm. Mm. You know? And then, just for the crack, I was reading the paper last night, and lo and behold, uh, the, the the HSE owns 257 vacant properties. Yeah, I was reading that too. That's that's uh, incredible, isn't it? You know? Worth a whole load of money. Yeah. Well, uh, someone said 100 million, but the auctioneers and them, and they, they reckon it would fetch about 400 million. Wow. Like, now, having said that, we're not talking about houses, but in Baggins Street Hospital, St. Coleman's mm. Hospital, mm. that kind of thing. I mean, I won't say Baggins Street Hospital was, if you're, if you're a kid were born in Hollis Street, you went to Baggins Street to get your birth certificate. <laughs> you know, that kind of thing. If your kids were born in Arts, so you, you went to down the road from uh, Of course, yeah. though, it's just important to, to point out, Paul, even if they sold all of that property, it would only be a drop in the ocean of the kind of, oh, of the annual budget. Absolutely. You know, so, yeah. But ultimately, I think that the, 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 the first thing we need to do is dispose of the HSA mm. because quite simply, they're incompetent. Mm. I mean, the classic cases are the ventilators. Yeah, the, I know. They figured they, need, they needed X amount, so the department said, we'll get three times as many because we don't know what we're facing. And they bought 12 times as many from unknown sources. Yeah. And then you have these spring things in, 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 in Temple Street that are being put in, in the kids' spine. Uh, I think there's, we have people watching over the system, but who's watching the watchers? Of course, and I mean, don't even mention the children's hospital. I mean, like, that's... No, no. I mean, to be honest, and I, 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 this is one of my, my pet hates. I can't think of a dumber place to put that hospital. I know, I know. And anybody who knows the city, Paul, would, would know that. I mean, it's yeah. crazy, crazy. I mean, in fairness, you, in fairness, you can go as far as the Red Cow and take the Lewis down. Yeah. But I mean, if you're coming from Cork, 
up, up to the National Children's Hospital. You've got to drive up to the, uh, uh, up, up to the, the Red Cow, get your Lewis and go down. Blanchestown would have been perfect. Yeah. But I mean, for, for, it's, it's, for, it's, for ambulances trying to get there in emergencies, you know? Yeah, absolutely. There must have been... Yeah, and and now uh, I know there's a huge issue with parking because where are staff going to park? And if if they, you know, there you are. It, it's not. It, it's a dumbass place to put it. Uh, a green, green, greenfield site. Yeah, Blanchetown mm. Hospital is, is one huge greenfield site, basically. But I mean, they were told about this, Paul. I mean, you know. <laughs> ah, sure. It's 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 one. It's it's, it's, it's a government attitude. It's, it's also a civil service attitude. Yeah. Like I, I gave twenty six years in the post office, and you couldn't they come up with an idea. You couldn't tell them this isn't going to work. You had to bring in the box to broke a piece. You you had to go out and do it, even though you knew it, and 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 bring back the proof that this didn't work, even though with your experience you would have known that it would exactly. Work. Oh uh, we had oh a God. we had an early retirement and uh, and re- redundancy package for, for productivity. And the eleven hundred people take take severance and, and retire, and then they discovered that the, the money that were spent on wages for those eleven hundred people, they were spending that and more besides for the overtime we had to do to do the work they were doing to fill the gaps in. But did anybody do the maths on on that, Paul? Uh, you can't tell them. You yeah. just cannot tell them. You ha- that's what I mean. I, I don't mean this. You can be with a box of broken pieces. Mm. Yeah. You have to wait till they arrive with the the uh, the, the results that they want. That didn't, that didn't work. But but does does anybody <laughs> pay a price for? You see, this is what I can't understand. Does anybody uh, pay a price for a, a, a major mistake like that? A major decision mistake. Uh, well, uh, getting on to the end of my time there, what happened was the uh, the lads uh, negotiating pay rise and and the conditions were, were they weren't civil servants. Yeah. So they they would agree to nothing. Because if they agreed to something, they could have the contract terminated. So I went to the Labour Court. <laughs> you know, that kind of way. But, I mean, the thing about all this, like, like someone was saying yesterday, uh, that uh, we have the HSC and you know, the, the, these six areas broken up. Are we, are we going back to the health board? Well, we're going back to a version of, yes. We're yeah. going back to a version of, yeah. the, the, the problem of it, I mean, in fairness, I, I, I think maybe they were given a bit of autonomy. Yeah. And just to just let, as I think I said before, that uh, the office I worked in ran itself. Mm. And the GPO only got involved if something needed to be, if they needed to get involved. The rest of the time, it was expected to run itself. Mm. Mm. Give, give, give the, uh, the the area its autonomy and let it run with it. And only interfere if the interference is necessary. But do you remember last time round with the health boards? You see, there was all sorts of political interference, Paul, and, uh, you know, that was part of their downfall, I suppose, in the end, you know? But there's always going to be. Do you think so? Yeah, but I mean, well, there was politicians I, sitting on the boards, you know, on the various... Oh, God, yes. Well, no, that, that, that would have to be knocked on the head mm. because that didn't work last time. But, I mean, the, the, the problem we have, basically, is you a, a large percentage of our TDs are doing councillors' work. Yeah, I know. You know, that kind of thing. That's how you get elected. <laughs> Pretty much, you know? Yeah, but that, uh, is the, that is the real... That is the reality of it, is it not? I mean, that, that is, is how they get elected, you know? Oh, yeah. just one thing. You were talking about the vaccinations earlier on. Yeah. 
the, the purpose of vaccination is to allow the body to develop antibodies. Okay. So, although it wasn't going to cure it, I think that the, 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 the gist I got was, well, okay, we, we, we get you that your, your immune system recognizes it and it won't kill you. Yes, 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 of course. You know? But, but the, the point I was making at the time, we were all jumping up and down and delighted when the vaccine was discovered, but we probably made up our own mind that this was a sort of a cure-all. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Well, yeah, well, we, we got so excited about it at the, at the time. Yeah, well, p- people were dying, and I said, well, this means I'm not going to die, I'm yeah, having it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it's as simple as that. I mean, to be honest with you, I assume all this is coming up with all this talk of, well, what the government did wrong in, in, in the COVID emergency. Yes, yes, there's going to be a report eventually, yeah. Yeah, yeah but the truth, in fairness, nobody knew anything. So you have to walk the safest line you can. Well, that's that's the point. I mean, it sounds like I was banging a drum for the media here because the media gets a lot of flack on this that we didn't question this or question that. But, I mean, it was our job to try and protect people and we were listening to the Bloomin' Science and we were listening to people giving us advice who were we thought were in a position to do so, Paul, you know? So. That's it. I mean, it's like this. Uh, I, don't go, I don't go to a mechanic if I need a tooth pulled. Yeah, yeah. So uh, you, have, you, you trust your doctors. Yeah, I mean there was an awful lot of bumps being put out and and, and uh, false information, but I mean at the end of the day, I, I went and I spoke to my doctor and she said, "Well, yes, we recommend you have it. That's it. But mm. uh, we've looked at it and that this is the information we have. And all you can, there used to be an affirmation before you did an exam. Is all I can do is the best I can with the knowledge I have available. And that that sums everything up, I That's suppose. That's it. Plain yes. and simple. Yeah. And, and I, I, to be honest with you, I thought the government handled this fairly well, allowing for what they knew. Mm. Yeah. And nobody knew anything. Right. And and you're not the kind of person who would be banging the drum for the government. You, 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 you're, no. This is no. your observation. They're, they're, of, yeah. They're going to get a lot of things wrong. Yeah. But it's in the nature of government to be inefficient because of the, the, the amount of avenues that have to be looked after. Mm. So basically, instead of being able to do 100% of everything you need to do, you wind up doing 50% of the things you need to do. And, and, and mm. Basically, we, we, we need a, it's been said before, and I'm not the first person to say this, uh, you need a 25-year plan. But the problem, no one's in government for 25 years yeah. that allowed the plan to follow the course. Of course. Now, so some of our our listeners might be screaming at the radio, yeah, but Fine Gael are in power for, what is it now, 12, 12 years, is it? Um, Give or take, yeah. Yeah. So... You know, it's, well, I mean, it's, it's, it's tricky. You know, there is no universal panacea. Yeah. What, what about know? the what about the notion? And God knows, it's a, it's a real possibility that Sinn Fein could lead the next government. How how do you feel about that? Uh, do you know what it is? Really, uh, it doesn't matter who you vote for; someone gets elected. What do you mean by that, Paul? Well, at the end of the day, uh, the, the, the boys up in the doll. If you if you found the day when all the TDs were there, if such a day exists, and you shot them all, the go- the country would still run mm. because the civil service runs the country. The per- the permanent government, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, uh, all so you're, you're saying to me it doesn't matter what party is in government. No. Is, is that what you're saying to me? It doesn't really matter, Dan. That's a big statement, Paul. Well, it used to, it used to matter. Because it's been my experience over the years uh, that what would happen is that Fianna Fáil would come in and they'd be skittish. You know, they'd, they'd, they'd be, have a tax cut here and we'd cut that there and we'd cut that there. And then people would say, hold on a minute, how much are they spending? Mm. 
And then the other crowd would come in and they'd say, well, okay, they spent too much. So we're, gonna, we're cutting here, we're cutting here, we're cutting here, we're cutting here. And we're, we're not doing this, we're not doing that. But we we, we bring the country back onto an even keel. And that's grand. And they do that. I mean, they're very austere, very, very austere. Mm. And then you come along and they say, hold on, now you're painting me bone with this austerity. And we bring the mm. other crowd back in. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but now, uh, Fall and Senegal, to be honest with you, they say there's not much to choose between them. Right. It's a, it's an interesting take, Paul. That's that's for sure. Great to talk to you today, Paul. And you better take Thank that dog yourself. you better take that dog for a walk as well, Paul. <laughs> <laughs> He's eating a cold bag at the moment. Is he the poor dog? <laughs> All right, thanks, Paul. Look after okay. yourself. Real pleasure. Good, Thank you. Day. Thank you too. Thank bye. you. Bye bye to you now. Um somebody says, Is there any chance that Fran would mention this? A black and white border collie is missing from the Killinall area since uh, Sunday evening. He was scared off by fireworks. He answers to the name Banjo and any information to us here and we will put you in touch. 1800 Now that's a black and white border collie and I've been hearing lots of stories on social media that uh, people are out with the fireworks, the illegal fireworks already and it's scaring the hell out of uh, dogs and horses and uh, the like as well. 83 Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Welcome back to the second hour of Tip Today, 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp, 083-311-3311. On our social media platforms, we're looking for your opinion on the latest on Irish neutrality because the Tornista has defended the decision to allow Irish soldiers to provide basic rifle training to Ukrainian soldiers, arguing that it's humanitarian to defend your people. Now, he was asked how rifle training did not count as sort of lethal aid in some way, and he gave that rather... I don't know, a rather rather strange answer that I, I, I can't make head or tail of. And again, just to read it to you, he said, in the context of any group that's established to try and defend their territory, I would argue that that's in accordance with the UN Charter. And still, if you read, uh, you know, the notion around Irish neutrality, um, it says the country has a long-standing policy of military neutrality. It does not join military alliances or defence pacts or take part in international conflicts. I mean, that's that's pretty clear. That's pretty clear. I, I will have thought, and in every poll, by far and away, the majority of Irish people wants us to hold on to our uh, neutrality. Now, Alan is making a very good point, uh, and he says that, you know, Ireland is not a neutral state as far as he's concerned. We lost our neutrality when we allowed the American um, uh, aeroplanes to refuel en route to the Gulf War at Shannon. And um, Alan went on to uh, tell us that he's, uh, just as we speak, he's taking his mum to the doctors for a checkup. And he said, don't get me started on the €12 Euro increase for carers. So 1800-938-007, where that is concerned. Now, we've been discussing road safety and, indeed, the state of our roads on the show over the last uh, while. And Mags was in touch with us uh, on this, and she joins me now. Good morning, Mags. Good morning, Fran. How are you? I'm very well indeed, and good to talk to you today. You you think mobile phones are a huge issue, Mags? Well, 
it's, I'm only going to speak about my own observations, yeah. and, and I have spoken to so many people about it in the last while. I'm driving over 30 years, and thank God, accident-free. But my observation, and I didn't do anything near as much driving this summer, but my observation, and I live on a little back road off, you know, off the main road. Mm. Um, back roads, you know, main roads, motorways, everybody seems to be on a, mo- um, a mobile phone. Not that you can visibly see, but a lot of people's heads are down. And are they making phone calls or are they texting, for example, Matt? Well, it's, it's very hard to know, but what I'm noticing, this is what I've noticed in the last few months, and you don't even know where to say it or what to do about it. I have been missed by centimetres on, on both back roads and main roads, and simply because people's heads are down. Wow. They're not they are not, um, you, you know, they're not present yeah. to the road at all. It's something, it has to be something. Because uh, just recently, now, this I could see uh, very plainly. I'm turning in uh, right in my own gateway, so I'm mm. on the other side of the road. And a man uh, in a big black car, and he wasn't a young man, he was an older man, um, just barely, barely missed me. He didn't see my car at all. Wow. And he's his hand, the the phone was in the hand nearest to me, and it's just observation, uh, yeah, friends. Yeah. You know, it's just observation. This seems to have crept in, and I suppose, like everything else, the lack of accountability. You know, there's nobody out there on back roads, and there's certainly we all know where the speed vans are, or we know mm. where we might be caught. But I was having a chat recently with a man as well who was working on, I don't know, flower beds or whatever it was in, 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 a, in a town. And he said every person that pulled up on the crossroads was on a mobile phone. It was his conversation. Now, I only joined into it. But he was just talking about the... And this is, that's in a town. But, I mean, that's, that's absolutely incredible. It's phenomenal. And, and when you think that with all of the carnage on the roads, Mags, um, you know, when the minister decided to do something about this, it was to take down speed limits on, on roads, which, you, yes. you know, on back roads, you can't police that anyway. You can't. So, no, you can't. Yeah. But I, now, I still I still would have a, a, another little comment about yeah. uh, speed, I suppose. You know, um, they... they, they they, they, we all know the speed restrictions, and we all know what we should be doing. Yeah. But doing it is a whole other is a whole other thing. But I would attribute so many of, of the near misses that have happened to me. I've never had so many. Six months, and I'm just saying, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. And I'm driving. I am driving a good bit of back road, but I do 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 a lot of main roads as well. And it's trucks. It's not only cars. Tractors. It's it's every every driver that I, that I seem to see have have mobile phones in their hands. Yeah. Now, yeah. I, I mean, we we all we're all um, use them for sat nav mm. where mm. they're placed on a windscreen or wherever. Yeah, but course. other than that, every call can wait. In my opinion, every call can wait. Every text can wait. What is the big hurry? We're all pulling up in 10 well, minutes. I, I saw a guy minutes. yesterday anyway. in a brand new Porsche 
No, I was envious of the car. That's why I was having a good look at the car. But he was on his phone. Now, that has yeah. all the high tech. There's no reason for him to have a phone up yeah. to his ear because his phone can come through the, the Bluetooth system in, in, in a beautiful car like that. I don't know what he was at. You know? Yeah, because every car now has Bluetooth, almost yeah. every car, unless you're driving a very old car. But they all have the Bluetooth facility. Yeah. They all have. And, and if it's necessary to make a call or hang up on a call, the Bluetooth, the thing is on your steering wheel to do so. You know, there's no need for anybody to have. And if I could appeal to, if it only changed four or five people this morning on your radio programme, come off our mobile phones. We're welded to them. Just come off them for those minutes, you know, or half an hour or hour that you are in your car. You know, you are, you're driving, you know... Your driving is so impaired, you know. Of course, and, and you're telling me, Mags, that on several occasions you were within a few centimetres of being wiped out. I, I absolutely, I cannot believe it. I have, I have grown up children and I'm saying it to them and they are saying the same. They are saying the same. I couldn't believe it actually yesterday when I got to hear your programme and you were actually talking about, you know, dangerous driving. Yeah. And I just said, God, I'm definitely uh, texting into this, you know. Because, you you know, where do you... You phone the guard station, but you haven't a, you haven't a registration. Unless we all get dash cam, which I personally don't have. Yeah. Unless we all get dash cam and, and you have the registration and, and it's visibly to be seen. But then what happens... You know, the the guard the guardi are under resourced, underfunded. Yeah. You yeah. know, they're not out on the streets, they're not out on the roads, and 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 most often that's not their fault. You know. And how do you feel about the go safe vans, the speed vans? How how do you feel about those? But you know, misplaced. Mister, I know where I live locally. I know where they're going to be. Mm. You know, yeah. and so does everybody else. I mean, I'm in my fifties. I'm pretty much going to be fairly. You know, unless. It is a, a matter of life and death. Am I going to be racing the roads anywhere? Mm. But um, we all know where they are. And, and getting caught four or six or eight K over the speed limit inside the speed limit is not saving lives, Frank. Yes. It's not saving lives. Is it but fish in a barrel as far as you're concerned? It's just, well, the discussion is how yeah. do we change what, has seemed, what seems to me has crept in as a non-compliance with people and and mobile phone usage. The other thing, Fran, I wanted to, to, to comment on, mm. um, and that I have really, really noticed, is the non-compliance around uh, the, 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 white, the continuous white line. Yes, pe people the passing people out on a, on a white passing line. Passing out. And now, I suppose I really started to notice this as a, 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 a driver beside l Place in the last number of years. Good Lord, people don't want to waste at all. Mm. Now, Okay, L-Pace are one thing and starting people off to drive, which I've done with uh, my children, is one thing and people are often in a hurry and, you know, we all understand that and you, you're teaching your children to drive and pulling in mm. where you can and but everybody has to start somewhere. But not not only that, this is driving the main roads, you know, into Clannell, into Castle, you know, wherever it is you are going, um, driving the main roads and people just where a path, you know, fly past you, where it is totally, 
totally unsafe to do. Yeah. So something has crept in. Well, I, I find the that. early mornings, uh, Mags, are, are worse oh. by, by a long, it, a long it, shot. They, I mean, you know. they are just unbelievable. Yeah. You know, my own husband travels a good distance to work and he would he just says, you just, he just can't believe now what people oh, do. It's lethal and stuff, lethal. Le- yeah. Yeah. So what do we do to change it? I, I, it's a huge debate and discussion, isn't it? Yeah, and people say about, you know, it's about education. So I'm not, I mean, we're more aware than we ever were, I think, we, about the dangers of driving. Sure everything now is flooded with ads, flooded, yeah. flooded. Every young person is on social media. Every young person, and my God, in, in the wake of the huge tragedy we mm. had in yeah. San Mel, every yes. young person is, is, is aware, more than ever, I imagine, um, of how minutes, you know, can change. Of course, of a course huge amount of lives. And, and, you know, and do you know, I'd love your opinion on something else, Mags, because it's been said to me. There's a very good friend of mine who absolutely believes this, and a lot of people uh, agreeing with her of late as well. Since COVID, since we came back from lockdown, it appears yes. that things have disimproved on the roads considerably. Do you see any evidence of that? Well, that 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 would be most definitely my observation in the last six or 12 months. Definitely, definitely. And what, you'd wonder, why would that be? We were all stopped for so long. Where are we rushing to now? We're rushing nowhere. We're absolutely rushing nowhere. Hmm. It's interesting. And somebody else was talking about, I forget one of the government ministers, uh, talking about, you know, reinstating those very hard-hitting ads on RTE, for example, and then a listener came on the programme, made a very valid point indeed, and said, sure, what young people um, are watching RTE at the moment? Absolutely you know? none. Absolutely. And I, I think I made this point somewhere else before. I was never in favour of, and particularly for those people, I know people who lost loved ones were involved in some of those ads, and, you know, if, they, if it changes one thing, that's great but it is not targeting. Now, I'm not saying either, Fran, this morning, that it's all young people oh, that are that. on mobile phones. Yes, I'm not saying it for that. one minute. Yeah. Because in my observation, I'm just saying it's every age. Of course it every is. Age. But it's largely yeah. young people we're losing on, on the road, sadly. Losing yeah. we, we are absolutely yeah. losing young people. And I suppose speed-wise, often, that is the young person, the high-powered car and the younger yeah. person. Yeah. yeah, very definitely. Yeah. But it's if, if if I could say any one thing to the listeners in Tipperary this morning, put away your phone. Put well, away. Put yeah. it into the boot of the car. It's no good inside my handbag because you'll probably root for it there or in a basket or in a bag or whatever. You're going to, or the glove compartment, you're going to lean over and, again, taking your eyes off the road. Yeah. Put it away where, because none of us are in that much of an emergency for a phone where right. we really well, are not it's very good advice from you that's for sure Mags a delight to talk to you thank you so much for your time this morning be safe out there thanks Mags thanks so much Frank thank, thank you, you. Thank bye you. bye bye bye, bye. 1800 the text and whatsapp uh, 083 a listener says yep our neutrality is gone Fran the Yanks are landing in Shannon for years it's disgusting we're a neutral country we should not pick sides in any war. We should only promote peace. The Irish Army are peacekeepers and should not be used to train foreign forces to kill. The overall Carnby Hall Martin have destroyed our neutrality, says a listener. 
Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie Listener says, um, they just had a near miss with a mother crossing a road with a buggy. She was on a mobile phone. Don't think she even noticed me or the oncoming truck. Well, I'm glad you mentioned that now because that's another thing. I'm like, God, I'm getting old and grumpy, aren't I? I'm always giving out about something. But the amount of people trying to cross roads and looking at a mobile phone, I mean, that's that's just lunacy. I mean, absolutely crazy. Anyway, uh, somebody else saying, Fran, that lady is so right. I see the same thing happening. People on the phone, even lorry drivers on their phone. It's either phones or a cup of coffee while driving. I think the speed vans should be doing a better job catching the ones on the phones instead of uh, being parked up and hiding to catch somebody doing a little bit over a speed limit, says Anne. Um, somebody else saying, with all of the driving lessons, uh, driving is just worse now. Young men are very impatient. A young man drove out, drove out of a side road across me yesterday. I had to stick the car to the road. He was driving a Mercedes. And uh, my good friend William Jackson on to tell me that there's a, a whist drive in lovely Anne Con Hall on Thursday night at quarter past eight. William, I hope you're well and I hope the family is well too. I haven't heard from you in uh, quite a while. Yesterday we spoke to uh, Colette who shared her story about her daughter and her daughter's connection to St. Anthony. Now we got some fantastic stories uh, following that uh, piece and Annette joins me now. Annette, good morning. Good morning, friend. Lovely to talk to you, Annette. Will you tell me about your daughter, the loss of the money, and St. Anthony? Because it's a great story. Um, Sunday evening, she has arrived home here from work um, into the air at about half past five. Her friends that works with her um, give her a lift home. And I happened to be just coming into the yard at the same time and was saying goodbye to the lady that had dropped her off. And, the next thing I could see, my daughter panicking, the pockets were going, and where was her wages and the whole lot. So she pulled out the phone anyway, she rang her friends to see, would she check her car to see that she dropped it in her car? So, needless to say, then, no uh, no wages in the car. The girl had come back, and, you know, they checked the seat of the car and the whole lot. So, the next thing was, anyway, um, I said, it was about quarter to six, maybe ten to six. So an hour had gone past the pit that she was, since she'd left work. So I said, we drive back into Cashel to see. Mm. Just on the off chance, you know. And we had rang the guards. She had rang the guards herself. And um, she had rang her boss, the whole lot, and explained what was after happening. Would one of the other staff members maybe go out around the street and just see, by chance, was it on the street or whatnot? So... Anyway, we drove back into Cashel in a panic. And needless to say, the emotions were very high now, Fran. You can just imagine. Can imagine. She's 16 going on 17. Oh, God. Yeah. She's been working nearly a full year now inside in Shehan's. Mm. And is minding every penny, to be honest with you. Yes. So <laughs> it was very high here now Sunday evening. But anyway, the whole way is into Cashel then, from New Inn to Cashel. St. Anthony's prayer was said the whole way. And it was um, St. Anthony help, St. Anthony guide, St. Anthony put it before our eyes. So the whole way in anyway. And then we got into town and we parked along where um, the girl that had brought her home originally had parked her car. Mm. And which is a long lady as well. Mm. So 
we got out and when I parked up there and we got out and Maeve went one direction, I went the other. And we searched up and down and alas, nothing. So we went back down around the corner, went in to shake hands and spoke to the lads inside again and just chatted for a few minutes. And um, I'd ask um, uh, Shamey, was the residents living along Ladies Well? Hmm. In those houses that live along there. Is that my old friend Jamie Delahunty? Yes. Ah, yes. Right. Oh, very good. Yeah. So um, he said, yes, yeah, there's residents along there and whatever. So we came back up along the two of us, and myself and, and my daughter, and we were thinking and humming and hawing and what would we do? And I was looking up to see was there CCTV anywhere. And the first house had it, but it was actually pointed at their front door. So I said, there's no point. Mm. Like, and down along the street, there was nobody else had anything, mm. we'll say, you know. So we were there. So then St. Anthony was coming again then, and we were rattling away the prayer between the two of us. And we were walking down along the street, and we just stopped kind of right in front of where I had the car parked. And something told me, ring the doorbell that's behind me. I rang the doorbell. I just turned. It didn't even, I, I don't know, Just I just turned and rang the doorbell. And a young man came out. And he just said, I explained who we were and what was after happening. I about my daughter and the whole lot. And the next thing he just says to me, hold on a minute, he said. Um, I think he said his dad had gone out earlier and he'd left an envelope inside in the kitchen. Hold on and I check. And lo and behold, the gentleman came back out with her envelope in his hand. And it was a white envelope with her name on it. Oh, my God. And there was her. Now, the killing part about it again was the fact that it was her wages, but it was always also her two weeks' wages, not just one, but oh two. God, so, I so mean, she would have been imagine. devastated, I'm, I'm sure. Tell me, though, about... You said something told you to ring the doorbell. Who? What? what yeah, explain I, that feeling to me. Um, it, It's hard to explain, Fran, but... There was something um, just said in me, turn around and ring that doorbell. My God. I don't know what it was or whether it was, but like, I would be, I'm, I'm how will I put it? I'm, I, I would have faith. I would have, and I'm not practicing every Sunday since yeah. COVID, I suppose, put a stop to a lot of it and you get on with your life then after that. And But I still would have, I'd say my prayers. I would, you know, I'd go to Mass when I can. I would visit the church to light candles. Um, we would have three, my own parents and my husband's, one of his parents, you know, gone to God and say, and so there would be, that connection is there, I suppose, the whole time to say a prayer to them. And, you know, you'd have that bit of faith that you, you'd be of course, looking yeah. for a little bit of help every now and again, you know, in life, as everyone does. And, and, and what is your experience generally of St. Anthony? I mean, is it, you know, I mean, would you have used yeah, it in definitely, the past? Yeah. yeah, definitely I would. Um, we had an experience here a couple of years ago. Um, we live on a farm. We have we had a beautiful sheepdog. Um, and one particular evening she was missing couldn't find her high up nor low down. Now we also have a second dog. But that particular evening I went out, I walked the whole farm. We searched the ditches, searched everywhere. And like that again, St. Anthony was rattling away in my brain as I was walking the farm, walking the ditches. 
we'd gone to neighbours, gone everywhere. And I came back into the farmyard and um, our second dog that was with me led me to the outside here, Baron. And she just, the, the dog kept kind of nudging me to go that direction. And the next thing anyway, I went in and lo and behold, these were round bales now that would have been three and four stacked high. Mm. But when they're stacked beside each other, there's a little pocket between them. Yes. And the sheepdog had gone down there. She was gone to the very, very bottom. Now you can imagine, Fran, the size of a round bale of, course, of straw. Yes. My God. So, and you're four stories high. So she had gone up to the top and had fallen down between and could not get back up. <laughs> but when our other dog had led her in there, we could hear the whimpering going on. So the next thing was we had to, we said, I just, I knew she was gone down there. I could hear her. And I got my husband and we got the tractor and the bay lift and we removed all the bays. And the next thing she was able to jump up on the first bay lift to get out. So we had taken down three loads. And um, yeah, but everybody's, would be. everybody's asking for the prayer again, Annette. Would you, would you give us the, the, the couple of lines again? It's St. Anthony help, St. Anthony guide, St. Anthony put it before our eyes. Just as simple as that. Just as simple as that. And my mother, the Lord Mercer, would have, that was what was instilled in me from their time. So that's the prayer that I always had okay. in my head. And it's just simple. I know it's not the same version, version as the lady that you had yesterday on. Yeah, she had yeah. a different version, but... This is the little simple one. So now my daughter, and she would have firmly believed in it as well. And she's only she's nearly seventeen, but she would have that instilled in her. And straight away yesterday, on Sunday evening, even when her money was found, coming home in the car, she said to me, "Mummy, she said we're going to the church to light candles." Isn't that amazing? Now the only thing I'd say to you, Annette, is as a friend of mine who has great devotion to Saint Anthony says. He's terrific, but he's expensive. Did you promise him? <laughs> did you promise him money? Well, usually I would, but <laughs> you're going you're going by the candle direction, then you see. So you're putting your money in, but you're lighting candles okay. for him. Okay, that's fair enough. So that that would be my way of of, of doing it. All right, that's fair enough. Well, look, it's a good news story, Annette, and I'm delighted for your daughter because, you know, at 16, she's saving a few, Bob. Double week's wages, for God almighty, it would have been awful for her. Awful. Yeah, yeah, all desperate. And just a huge, huge thank you. I'm not going to name the family, but Mm. if anybody's from his family that knows, they know Mm. who they are, and uh, we Mm. haven't, I I, I haven't been into meeting myself yet, but I will be. But your casual uh, people are salt of the earth, Annette. Now you said it. And we're only out the road, friends. Ah, well, we'll we'll include you then. We'll include you then. (laughs) Annette, thanks very much, and my best to your daughter as well. Thanks, Annette. Thank you. Thanks, friend. Bye-bye. 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 That's uh, another St. Anthony story. And uh, tomorrow we'll talk to Tammy because she is a great one as well. So we're looking forward to that uh, uh, too. We'll take a break back in just a moment. If it matters to you, it matters to us. Call TIP today on 1-800-938-007. TIP FM's TIP Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecone, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecone, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie all right, a huge amount of text and WhatsApp and uh, email into us today, and we're almost delighted uh, to hear from you and uh, on all sorts of different uh, topics. So if I don't get back to uh, the various uh, emails and text um, 
today. We will certainly get through uh, some of them during the week, uh, but thank you very much indeed for that. Time now for Global Politics. Delighted to be joined by Thomas Conway, as always. Good morning to you, Thomas. Good morning, Fran. Uh, good to talk to you today. You're going to kick off with Ukraine, and you're making the point that Ukraine and its alli- allies... It needs a new plan at this point. Yeah, so we touched on this a little bit last week and I was thinking on the way back in the car, what prospects do Ukraine have? What you know, what are the long and short term prospects for the country now? Where are we now in this war? And I think a recalibration is needed. Uh Ukraine needs to assess its options here. It's in it for a long war. It's going to be a long grinding war of attrition that increasingly looks like uh that looks like it will be the case. And Ukraine needs to prepare for it, and so do its EU partners. Now, we had a number of developments this week. We have EU foreign ministers currently in Kiev meeting yeah. for, a, for a historic session. They're outside of EU borders. They're hoping that Ukraine will eventually become a EU, an EU member, uh, and a pathway has been laid out for that. But it's still, it's still a while off. It's still a while away. Uh, and for the moment, the focus has to be on supporting Ukraine, supporting it militarily, supporting it in terms of its finance. I mean, it's staggering. The Ukrainian economy has shrunk by almost a third since the start of the war. You know, much of its budget is being backed by by the EU. It's it's getting foreign donors essentially to keep the uh, you know to keep the coffers yeah. going. Uh, so it badly needs Western support. It needs continued and persistent Western support here in order for it to sustain itself and keep and going. Is there any danger, Thomas, that that support is becoming a little bit uh, jaded in some way? And I suppose the big example is what's happening in Slovakia. Well, we've seen it, yeah. yeah. And, and, and there could be a breaking of the, the lines here in terms of support. Yeah, and for people who aren't familiar, this guy, Robert Fico, who who's, looks like he would be sworn in as Prime Minister of Slovakia, swept to power in an election over the weekend. Now, he hasn't been elected in a government yet, but he is known for his anti-EU, pro-Moscow views. So, you know, mm. really negative sentiment towards the EU and is leaning, leaning towards Vladimir Putin. A really, really worrying development within the EU itself, within Slovakia. And, and, and just for clarity, his view on Ukraine is what, in ter- because of course Slovakia is very much uh, uh, helping Ukraine and supporting Ukraine. What, what's his view on that? He, he wants the war to end. He wants the war to end so he doesn't see a point in supplying Ukraine with this consistent stream of weapons because he thinks the Russians uh, will eventually overrun the country, in effect, uh, and take power. So he is, he's effectively taking the Russian line. He's on, he's on Russia's side in this. Mm. Now, he's quite flexible as a politician. He has changed his views down through the years. You know, he's malleable in that sense. Uh, but by all accounts, he seems to be pro-Russian in this mm. context. So a really worrying development there. Worrying, but he would have to form a coalition to govern if he ends up uh, as Prime Minister. And will that not dilute some of his more sort of... Precisely. And you would hope, you would imagine that it would moderate him somewhat. It would moderate his demands and his policies, positions. Or certainly that would be the hope. That's the hope of, I think, a lot of EU Prime Ministers and Foreign Ministers that a coalition, whatever form or shape it takes, will be a little bit different from, a, from we'll say, a majority government with Fixo uh, purely in power there. But that's not to get away from the point that Ukraine at this point is at a critical a critical yes. phase. Asking for a ceasefire or peace talks at this point seems pointless because Vladimir Putin doesn't seem like he's going to listen. 
he looks to be a man at this stage who is dead set in his own objectives, dead set in his own goals, and is unwilling to cede very much territory at all. But is it not true that Zelensky isn't willing to have peace talks either until Russia removes itself from his sovereign territory? Well, well there is both sides to this, yes. yeah, and Ukrainian... Now, I have a few statistics here that I pulled out. 23% of the Ukrainian population think, only 23%, think it is worth initiating negotiations. So that's very small. Only 5% are willing to cede any territory to Russia. And only twenty-eight, only eighteen percent would forswear joining NATO or would mm. would give but, up on the prospect is, is of NATO. Is it the old cynic in me that brings up Churchill's statement of you know the first casualty of war is the truth? I mean, you know, do we really yeah. know how accurate these these? Yeah, are? and and you know, you can pull statistics from anywhere basically, yeah. you know, and and there are plenty of them out there. So it's just interesting though to see the picture it paints of Ukrainian yeah. civil society and the public sentiment towards the war. I mean. We can't we we can't forget here that people are dying. Yes, of course. Uh, yeah. Civilians are dying, but soldiers are dying in large numbers. And you're making an interesting point. You're saying soldiers are exhausted at this time. Soldiers are are absolutely exhausted. They are absolutely wrecked, fighting on the front lines for close to more than a year and a half now. Uh, you know. Uh, using all sorts of equipment, they, their intense training regimens have gone to different countries for training, and at this point they are exhausted, they are fatigued both mentally and physically. And the question is how long they can keep going because Ukraine has a you look Ukraine has exceeded all expectations in terms of its its position in this war. It has battled you, uh, Russian forces back to the brink, mm. uh, but Russia still has a huge military there and a huge supply of soldiers which it can draw upon um, and and that can sustain it for a considerable period of time into the future. So it's going to be really interesting to see what way Ukraine looks at it, what way it plays it. Mm. I mean, you have a number of options there, better security around cities. You know, Kiev has, has an anti, uh, a missile defence system and things like that. Could that be implemented in different cities across the, across the country of Ukraine? Because and is that's... that now where you're seeing support? Uh, arriving to where, where technology is concerned. Is I, it, I think it, so. Yeah. I think so. We have things like drone warfare, which is becoming really prominent, the use of drones and another satellite communications. But people are starting to realise, slowly but surely, that this is going to be a war of attrition. The question is not mm. how Ukraine can win the war, but can Ukraine sustain mm. a long war, a long and grinding attritional war? Yeah, but we must also keep in mind, I suppose, Thomas, or should we be keeping this in mind at this point, which is the impediment um, that stopped Ukraine coming into the Union in the first place was corruption. Yeah. And I mean, corruption is still an issue. It, it is still rife in the yeah. country. And we've seen Zelensky, Zelensky has tried to purge it to a certain extent. Yeah. He's tried to rid the country of corruption. But it is still a huge problem. And it's a problem amongst uh, fellow uh, prospect of EU members as well. Some of the other countries who want to join, the likes of Moldova and that, uh, do have their own problems with corruption. But corruption has been a persistent issue in Ukraine down the years. There is also the question of who is Zelensky's successor going to be? You know, he can't stay in power forever. He's been a heroic leader. He's been a, you know, a heroic man for our times. Is there any number two? Is there a number two? There doesn't seem to be. Yeah. I mean, you have you have senior figures, you have high-profile figures there, like Dmitry Kuleba, the foreign minister there, doesn't seem to be uh, eyeing the top job. Yes. 
nor do any of the other senior ministers there. So it remains to be seen. The question, there's also a question of whether Ukraine would be willing to hold an election at this point in time. That, to me, seems like a far-off possibility. In the middle because of a, war, a, war is going. a wartime yes, course, scenario, yes, there's yeah. martial law in the country. Give me your view on, and this is unthinkable for an awful lot of people, but if Ukraine fail to hold back Russia, yeah, well, what, it's, what are we talking about? It's now? a devastating prospect. It means, it means a failed state on the EU's eastern borders, basically a state which is uh, puppeteered or controlled in part by Russia. It means Russia is that bit closer to the European Union's borders. Uh, it means Ukraine will not become a member of the European Union. The consequences are devastating and they're far-reaching. Now, on the other side of that, were Ukraine to prevail, we suddenly have a new robust country of 30 million people, uh, an agricultural heartland, an ag- agricultural and industrial powerhouse inside Europe. As I said, 30 million people there uh, added to the to the European mm. Union ticket. Uh you know, the, it's very enticing in many ways. But it is, but Putin isn't just going to go away. I no, mean, he's not. He's, beaten, he's, he's not. not going to go and away. there is no heir apparent to Putin in Moscow yeah. either, yeah. just like there is no heir apparent to Zelensky uh, in Kiev. But certainly, it is a grim scenario. It's a grim mm. picture you have to... You have to paint when you think it's, of that. It's interesting that the Democrats uh, with Mr. Biden, that they're playing politics with Ukraine now as well, aren't they, in terms of support? They certainly are. Yeah. And we see that Ukrainian aid dropped from yeah. that, that last-minute package in yeah. the U.S. Congress uh, just last week or over the weekend. That will have serious repercussions. Now, Biden has remained pretty steadfast in his support of Ukraine, but it's not a view shared unanimously amongst U.S. legislators. Uh you know, a lot of them highly sceptical of Ukraine and you can see that creeping in, especially in some elements of the Republican Party. And were Mr. Trump to come to power, and we'll talk about him more in a minute, you know, you don't know what's going to happen. You don't know what what yeah. level of support will be there for Ukraine into the future. Have we any, I'm throwing this at you now, have we any idea about the kind of numbers that are dying in this war on a daily basis or a weekly basis? There are various estimates. I, I can't really put a figure. Yeah, it's, it's into thousands, the thousands. It? Yeah. It's certainly into the thousands. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's been pointed out, Ukraine is using, losing many of its finest troops as well. You know, many of its most skilled and educated troops, its senior battle, battle-hardened troops, are dying in this war. And it's having to call in constantly scripts, many of which are reluctant to fight themselves, many of whom are, are I won't say poorly trained, but poorly experienced, have uh, little experience of this kind of warfare, of this scale of warfare. So, so you would have concerns about the long term. Yeah, the longevity, because Russia has, and Russia can pull on far more resources as well, so that is an issue. Now, we mentioned American politics there, and it's interesting to see yet another Republican debate going on without the presence of himself. Yeah, it seems largely irrelevant, doesn't it? It it really does. Without Trump there, without Trump in the mix, it seems like, you know, what are we having this for? And it was, I watched watched the highlights reel of the debate. It was an interesting debate, uh, and they, they got through a lot of different topics, a lot of different... Uh, subjects had a good go at each other, the likes of Nikki Haley uh, quite prominent in there but without Mr Trump it seems just largely irrelevant Uh, and we have him in a civil fraud case in New York yesterday turning up at a courthouse in Manhattan but making the point himself that he's 10 or 12 points ahead of Biden in the polls, he's 30 to 40 points ahead of the next Republican candidate, Ron DeSantis in the polls you know, it doesn't seem to be damaging his... But the current 
a court case could destroy him as a businessman. Yeah, destroy and it his is, reputation as a businessman. And, you know. and we even discussed it. My father made the point down on the way down the car. He looked a worried man. He looked a visibly worried yeah, man yeah. yesterday. He looks a little bit, uh, you know, worse for wear and a little bit concerned that this was going to do him damage. And it could well do because this one is damaging. And the, uh, the New York, uh, the woman behind it all, Leticia James, is she's very, uh, she's stubborn. Uh, and she's resilient, and she will be she will be dogged in her pursuit of Trump. And I think that is causing him problems. I think that is genuinely striking fear into Trump's heart. But at the same time, at the same time, support for him remains pretty consistent across the board. You know. And that brings me to my next question to you. I mean, where the Republican debate was concerned, then did anybody emerge as the winner of that? Did anybody? I mean, look, did they dish Trump, by the way. They, did they? they did. I mean, the lights of Chris Christie, uh, who is uh, a governor, a, or an American governor. Governor dubbed him Donald Duck, you know, and really hit out at him for for missing the debate. But he uh, was a friend of his, wasn't he? He was a friend of his, ally, a former yeah. a former ally. You had former President Mike, Pe- or Vice President Mike Pence in there taking aim at Trump. Uh, the likes of Nikki Haley as well uh, calling him out. Ron DeSantis had perhaps his most pointed shot at Trump yet, even though he still kind of stood back. And I wonder. I wonder the tactics on the, the Santos campaign trail. Well, he doesn't you know, want to completely alienate the Trump. No, he doesn't well. because Isn't he needs it? a certain degree of support yeah, of from course, Trump. Yeah. And I, I guess it's a difficult balance to strike. But he is so far behind Trump in the polls now that it's almost impossible to see him crawling his way back uh, bar something really drastic happens. So some really interesting dynamics to the debate. Another candidate, Vivek Ramaswamy, who is a, a billionaire, 38 billionaire businessman, uh, he adds a new dynamic to the debate. He's not going to be elected as the Republican candidate, but he may be one for the future. Uh, and then, of course, there's the issue of the vice presidency. Who might Trump's running mate be, be if Trump is selected as candidate? Will it be any of these uh, these people which were on stage last week? And the question, you know, the answer to that is, I don't really know. I mean, you have the likes of Nikki Haley there, who was quite a competent politician. I'm not sure she'd throw in her lot with Trump at this point. I know she served as UN ambassador in the past, but vice president is an entirely different role. Of course it is. If you don't mind, we'll hold off on our historic figure today because I'd love to give it more time. Because yeah, of course sure. It's the great uh, John F. Kennedy, and we will do that uh, next week if that's okay with you, because I want to just give it a bit more time than we have today. But in terms of what to uh, watch out for, um, I'm really intrigued with the violence in Sweden. Because it's a, in, yeah. you know, historically it wasn't a country that you associate with issues like this. Well, it's a know? Scandinavian country, and yeah. traditionally Scandinavian countries have been the, you know, the paragon, the model for for how society should function. Their social democratic model has been widely lauded; people lavish it with praise. And yet, you have this persistent problem with crime and violence in Sweden to the extent that the former Prime Minister Magdalena Andersson weighed in on a debate last week uh, and called for called for action, essentially. Uh, the background to this was in the past uh, 24 hours in the country at some stage last week. Three people died in shootings and bombings, uh, Swedish news media reported. Andersson is from the centre-left Social Democrats. She su- suggested on Thursday that surveillance be performed by police officers and could be carried out by the military as well. So quite drastic and dramatic measures that she's advocating there. And it really is a quandary for Swedish politicians because this is a traditionally peaceful society. It's a, you know, a very civilised civilised part of the world yes. that does well on most... Uh, 
rankings and metrics. We made reference to the situation in Slovakia, so again, we'll keep an eye on that. But uh, talk to me about Italy for a moment, because they're spending again. Yeah, they're putting the hand in the back pocket of Ben, and and they're deciding to splash the cash. And this is Giorgia Maloney, the far-right Italian Prime Minister. We must remind people she is of the far-right, the Brothers of Italy party. But she has decided, after a period of, I think kind of more conservative economic policy that she's going to start splashing the cash that Italy needs to start spending to fill holes. Why now though? Why now? There are certain there are certain uh, uh, situations the Eurozone the state of the Eurozone economy uh, the fact that Italy badly needs to spend cash to inject money into its ailing economy remember it has an ageing population there uh, many people getting older the workforce the labour force uh, getting older and needs to be, I suppose, stimulated yes. in many respects. So this is called... But, but do they have the growth to pay for this? Do they? Th- 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 that's the big question, and yeah. that's the question EU leaders would be asking. And there is a big EU summit, I'll point to it, coming up in Granada later in the week in Spain, in which they can, you know, Ukraine will be discussed. But I can tell you, this will also be an issue on the table, because if there's one thing countries like France and Germany cannot stand, it is when countries like the Italians and maybe the Southern Europe European nations start spending. Uh, it really riles them up. It really uh, frustrates them. There are all kinds of EU budgetary rules in terms of limiting spending, spending caps and that. Uh, frequently, they're ignored by EU members. So this is another instance of that, another example of that. So it'll be really interesting to see. Quantum I mean, trust. it'll be, a, you know, it, it's a quandary for George Maloney because she does need to spend money to get the economy uh, afloat there. But I mean, how much? And, you know, there are limits to that. That is that is the thing. It's very interesting indeed. All right, Thomas, it's always a pleasure. And thanks so pleasure, much Fran, for, for thank coming you. into us today. 1800-938-007. News and information is coming up. Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Welcome back to the final hour of Tip Today. Thomas was on to say, Fran, all modern cars are touch screens. So to turn on the radio, the heating or whatever, you have to look at this screen. There's no buttons that you can put your hand down and press or turn without taking your eyes off the road. It's a very good point. I hadn't thought about that, but yeah, it's a very good point uh, indeed. We're with you, of course, every weekday morning from nine. And this morning, just after nine, I spoke to Catherine. And Catherine told us that she'd like to see an investigation into what she sees as the rising mortality rate since COVID. Here's a little of our conversation. I just feel it does need more investigation. Mm. And I think, you know, the fact that they're saying that uh, COVID lockdowns is responsible for it all. I find that one kind of hard to believe, to be honest with you, and I'm certainly not a conspiracy theorist. And and I know that, and and you're a very reasonable person, as I can hear, but do do you not think that, you know, because services, health services were so restricted during that time that uh, cancers maybe weren't spotted in time or heart disease mightn't have been spotted in time and other conditions as well? Does that sort Mm. of make some sense? As I say particularly probably in some cases, Fran. But, yeah. um, you know, this, this, this sudden deaths now are, you know, every yeah. day you take up the paper, you know, you see young teacher dies suddenly, young athlete dies suddenly, mm. young footballer dies suddenly. It's, 
it seems to be, you know, quite mm. a huge increase so now. Come, come on, t- tell me your thoughts on it then, Pat. I actually don't know. Um, I couldn't say for certain. I'm just, it, it is strange. And as you, as you said, you know, correlation is not causation. Mm. It is strange that the countries with the highest uptake of vaccines mm. now appear to have the highest um, mortality rates. And that's uh, Catherine who spoke to us just after nine o'clock this morning. Eighteen hundred nine three eight double o seven. Jar was on to say the lady told her story so well about her daughter and the lost wages and Saint Anthony. It's a lovely good news story, Fran. And Jar goes on to be very complimentary about the show as well. Um, okay, lots in about uh, Mr. Zelensky and lots in about Ukraine as well, and that's something we will get back to very soon. But right now, it's time for our GP, and delighted to be joined from the by Dr. Pat Harold. Good morning to you, Pat. Good morning, Fran. And good to talk to you today. You're going to talk to us about sexually transmitted infections, uh, Pat. Are, are they on the rise? Are they on the rise? They sure are on the rise. And um, I just listening with interest there to your, your talk, your, your, to Catherine there. You see, people do look at these things, you know. I mean, there is a constant surveillance and monitoring of all kinds of um, illnesses in Ireland and in, in most countries with a good degree of development. And um, I, I just wonder, you know, um, he was just saying there that um, I was thinking, do I want to wade in on this? But you know, it, recently my daughter bought a Nissan flashback and um, I never noticed that car before, but now I see them everywhere. You know, if, yes. if you see things and you think they're everywhere and um, they might have always been everywhere, it might be anything different from the normal at all, but people, we're always looking at the statistics. Well, I mean, we, I'm not. My mm. public health doctor is an expert in all things like them. We are always looking at statistics, always looking at trends. And one of them is there's been a huge increase in STIs in Ireland um, lately. And um, I don't, there, it's, it's, there's a lot of causes for it. And, mm. and it's, um, it's, it's and one of them being maybe complacency. You know, yes. Like yeah. you and I are from a generation. Everybody was terrified of catching AIDS, sure. and AIDS was, um, you know, it was a death sentence. Yeah. Like, it didn't matter how well off you were or famous you were, you were, you weren't going to last too long. And thankfully, that's um, not the case anymore. Yeah. Um, but there are a lot of such as silent diseases like syphilis, chlamydia, and gonorrhea, especially, and they're the ones that can, you know, you can have them with no symptoms whatsoever, and you can. Um, And uh, sometimes there's a a lot of lampooning of these diseases and sort of people laughing at them. How serious, Pat, are these diseases? Well, they're very serious. I mean, um, for instance, syphilis, the amount of Victorian celebrities that had syphilis was desperate. And it was a death sentence for many of them. Um, But they're all reasonably easily treated. Now, there is an issue with gonorrhea with antibiotic resistance worldwide. Um, But one of, the, one of the good things about it is um, the, the HSE are very proactive at the moment. You can get a free STI test um, plenty of You don't have to go to the doctor. You don't have to go and get tested for well, many of them. And there's many tests you can get online that will test for most of these diseases. They take swabs of your blood and the urine test. Um, you can go to your GP. Some are more into it than others. Um, you know, depending how close you are to a laboratory. Yes. You know, if you're well away from it, you might be able to do as um, good as an STI screen as you do, you know, if you had a, a laboratory beside you, because some of these specimens need to be fairly fresh, 
But um, I think the moral of the story is get tested and get tested often because treating them is no um, mm. generally fairly easy, fairly straightforward. But um, especially anybody who gets a new partner, um, especially anybody who um, has um, a, a lot of, um, pushers, you know, a lot of adventures. Mm, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I would recommend them as much as possible. And there's versions available for girls who, who, who like girls as well. Mm. And, um, you know, it, it, it's all very preventable and everything. But I think, it's, you know, you can say people can lampoon a friend but people need to be having those conversations. Of, of course. And, and it kind of comes in, yeah. yeah did, did COVID play a part in this in some way? Did people go a bit mad after COVID in some way or, or does that play any part in this? There's certainly theory about that. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing is dating apps and online and they make yeah, it very yeah. easy to, to get them. You know, uh, and, and, you know, there is a certain amount of after the war is over, you know, let's party. Mm. You know, I don't yeah. to blame anybody for that. But just to be, be aware and everything. I'm just looking here, and there's a very, very comprehensive your guide to SPIs um, from the HSE, and it's in English. You can get it in several languages, and it goes down through the whole lot. And there's a lot of supports there, and the SPI clinics. Um, everything's free. Everything's mm. easily done, and um, if and uh, you know nobody is going to burst out laughing at you or anything like that. You'll be treated. You'll be sorted, and and have a lovely happy sex life but you won't be affecting your life and your health and your um, fertility and, and your partners of course as, as well yeah and, and when, Absolutely. when when the result comes if, if you take that that option of a kit coming to your house and you send it back and, and it, when the result comes to you then are you advised what to do at that point Matt yeah well just supposing you come up positive for yeah. gonorrhea yeah. you know, that's when you contact your doctor and then we've got guidelines of what antibiotics to give, how often and for how long, mm. and whether to retest again or not, depending on the infection. Yes. So, I mean, they're close to the day's work. You know, it's no different to us than, you know, an ingrown toenail. We oh. don't, we don't, um, and you don't but judge it, it is the, the response. We don't judge at all. Yeah. You yeah. Know? So, um, there you go. And um, it's, it's, uh, yeah. And, and Pat, yeah. you say largely these conditions are, are invisible, but what should you look out for? Because we hear about warts and the like and that sort of thing. Yeah, well, most of the things is if you've got a discharge from the penis or the vagina, if you've got burning pain when passing urine, um, bowel in the gonorrhea, you now one of ten men, no symptoms whatsoever. Um, you could have bowel symptoms, more inflammation and infection there, or you could swelling the testicles. And, but, but women now, seven out of ten will have no test, no symptoms at all. So you need to be, if they take the swab. And the thing is, that is the disease that would wet your eustachian tubes and cause infertility down the line. Right, you so, know, so, so that's, that's very good reason. And then you yeah. see, you can pass it on to the next person, and it's kind of like checking this person's going around. So, um, you know, everybody really needs to get um, who's sexually active. You know, it's no harm to get a kit and get a test. There's actually criteria, you know, you can get it done every three months or something if you're, if you're, <laughs> right. I don't know, there, right. you can fit into different categories and look it up yourself, you know. All right, but, but there's no um, problem not, going to, to a doc, Pat, you've seen it all before, you're not judging anybody, just go and see your doc, I suppose. Not a bit, what yeah. you won't, don't want to do is put yourself in the position where you have to ring up a load of people and tell them, Yeah. you know, that, yeah. that's pretty, um, or else 
not bring them and have it in your conscience. Of course. You don't have to somebody's life. You, know, you, you don't have a word with us as well, uh, Pat, uh, because there's a, a programme on Virgin Media 1 tonight about cosmetic surgery in Turkey and, you know, the risks of this medical tourism and all of that. Are you very concerned about that, Pat? I actually am. I was at a meeting of um, GPs in my area last week and um, I said that anybody got any um, disaster stories from that and most of them had three or four like which wow. is quite a lot yeah wow. and um, the, the general way is you see if you're booking now for bariatric surgery and you're taught successful now it does take an inordinately long amount of time to get it done in the public system in Ireland right. I know that, that, that's, that, the, tummy. that's the tummy operation that's is it? the tummy uh, yeah. it, it, it's, it's very effective it reduces the size of your tummy there's different types of ones um, gastric sleeve would be one of them but it, it, it narrows down the tummy so you feel full all the time and you, it t- doesn't take very much to fill you. Mm. Well, what they do is they do a full comprehensive workup and, and the, the, um, they always talk about the multidisciplinary team because there's dietitians, there's um, psychologists, there's people who advise you. Uh, you know, you do try to lose weight before, you try to get your fitness up. And, um, you know, a lot of these people who are hugely overweight, they, they've got some reason, you know, that mm. they're eating like that, some sort of unfulfilled need because the last thing you want to do is have them operated on and then they don't get the need that way and then they take to drink or something like that yes, to, yes. to fill the void and the gap. So it's there's a fair bit of homework done. Now, in a lot of people, it's a game changer. It's brilliant. But what you don't want to be doing is going to a non-EU country where there's no accountability whatsoever. Because when you think about it, man, today all over Ireland, there's thousands and thousands of operations going on. They all have to be at a certain standard, a certain grade. If there isn't, it's flagged. And there's... Um, Repercussions, you know, especially if something goes wrong. Now, in every operation, there's a certain amount that won't, you know, go quite as you'd expect. But if you go off to Turkey, number one, like if you're going off to um, get your operation in Ireland, you're supposed to go on a liquid diet for two weeks. Now, in Turkey, you kind of combine this with your with your holiday. So you're eating and drinking and all kinds of exotic things. Then you go in and get it done. Any operation, there's a huge chance. Well, not a huge chance. There's a small chance of. Um, Infection. Yes. So that's when you want nurses and skilled people coming to see you and more rounds and things afterwards for a couple of days to make sure, or even a week, to make sure you're not going to get infected. You don't want to be hopping on the plane. Um, when they get back to Ireland, they there's no sort of records of what was done and how it was done. So if they get symptoms, you don't know if the operation was bad or if it was just the operation was okay. This is a normal side effect. Um, I've seen people who've landed in Shannon and gone straight to hospital and they're being knocked up in Limerick and it, they might be there for a couple of months. My God. So your your quick, convenient operation is tough and, to the and, whole and, they're, they're, and you could be left with debilitating symptoms for the rest of your life. And, and, and what, are your colleagues you know, large, what are your colleagues largely seeing, Pat? Is it infection or is it well, ba- bad surgery or what is it? Both. Both, both. wow. You know, um, yeah. I've seen it with, with tummy tucks with um, liposuction, all that kind of thing. You can get terrible scarring. You can get terrible damage to your inside, you know. Um, and, and as you can see, friend, people have died and yeah, there's absolutely yeah. no comeback at all. At least in Ireland, uh, you know, it, the wheels of justice, you know, they might grind slowly, but they do grind. You know, so it's, God knows if I sent Frank Curry in for an operation and he died on the table, there'd be questions asked and yeah. they'd be, you know, there'd be some kind of a, you know, it wouldn't be just, well, tough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> Which sure, is, yeah. um, 
which you know I I really don't know. There's there's plenty of things that um, there's there's the National Treatment Purchase Fund, and there's things that can be got abroad. There's um, ways you can access in European countries health services now. I'll, your own GP will probably have a notion what's appropriate for you and what you can do. Like we all know about people who get the credit union and they go up to the north sure. to get their cataracts done. Conversely, when you know people from the north come down to Ireland and get their cataracts done. So um Do they? But that's oh yeah, there's there's a kind of a national treatment purchase fund thing going up there that come, come down here. So um, but you know, if you're in a waiting this long enough you do actually take so I'd be nice somebody to me this morning, you know how but he ended up in a private hospital somewhere in Kerry yes. or something or something he was in the waiting list for and he's very happy with that. He waited, you know, so long to get it. But um yeah, at least there are things that you can access. And and Pat, if, there's, if there's people listening to us today that have might have made plans, they might be in the process of almost heading out somewhere to get surgery like this done. So they're going to go and do that anyway. So yeah. what would you say to them, Pat? I'd say don't. <laughs> you say cancel. I'd say take the money, go on a holiday, think of something else. Right. Um, there's other ways. You know, you don't even know if the surgery is for you, really, if you just decide to book in like that. Because, you know, it might be, there might be a different way of losing weight. That would be, that yeah. would be more appropriate for you. Um, a quick fix, it isn't really, surgery isn't really a thing for the quick fix. Mm. You know, it's, um, it's something that you want to think long and hard about, and you want a team approach. So um, I keep your money in your pocket and don't go. All right, and have a look at that programme tonight, possibly on mm. Virgin Media 1 as well. Pat, always good to talk to you, and thanks Take very care, much to you, Pat. Myself. Thank you. Bye-bye. That is our GP, Dr. Pat Harold there. Uh, in Nina this morning, 1800-938-007. The text and WhatsApp, 83 If you've been to uh, one of these countries like Turkey or wherever for cosmetic surgery and if you would like to talk to us, we would like to hear from you. You might have had a fantastic experience, whether it was dental or whether it was the, the tummy tucks or whatever. And, or indeed, you might have... Um, you know, suffered because of it. If you'd share with us, we'd love to hear from you. You can speak to uh, Emma there on 1800-938-007. Tip FM's Tip Today with Fran Curry In association with Slattery's of Pecan, Tipperary's main Peugeot dealer. Slattery's Garage Pecan, the name you can trust for over 50 years in the Premier County. Slattery'sGarage.ie now, uh, Mary Kay was on to us from Tipperary Town and she said, uh, Fran, I was listening to your writer on St. Anthony. I strongly believe in him as well. We used to say, St. Anthony seek, St. Anthony find, St. Anthony put it before my eyes. And uh, Mary goes on to uh, compliment the show then as well. Thanks so much for, for that, uh, Mary. Do you know, I think the next time, and I often lose stuff, I'm going to try it and I will bring back my experience to you. OK, I certainly will will do that. Um, Mike says, a credit to the show and to the programme, Fran, that you get such a response via text, email, etc. And I always say that the show uh, connects with so many situations out there. Even St. Anthony, keep it up, says Mike. Thanks for that, Mike, and good to hear from you today. Now, we've been chatting about the Late Late Show and uh, the new host, uh, Patrick Keelty, and, of course, he's now done three shows. One of our listeners, Deirdre, said that she hasn't tuned in much since uh, the days of Gay Byrne, uh, that nobody could replace him. Well, James was on to us about this and uh, joins me now. James, good morning to you. Morning, Fran. How are you? Uh, I'm good indeed, James. You've seen all three of Patrick Kilty's shows, have you? Yeah, I've seen all three of them, yeah. It, um, I suppose the best way to describe them is that they're, they're watchable. 
Yes. So, you know, so um, and and were you a fan? Like, were you a fan of Ryan Tuberty and Pat Kenny? Oh, yeah. Oh, de- oh, definitely not Pat Kenny. Oh, God bless us, no. God bless us, no. Oh my God, Pat, Pat the Plank, no way. Right. He had, he had, no, he had no personality about him, you know. And, yeah. Uh, and funny enough, a, a clip came up last night uh, showing the famous the, the time the lady turned down the um, tickets to the oh, toy he, show. He tore up the tickets, and he tore up yeah, the tickets yeah. there. Uh, oh no, 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 I had no time for for Pat. Yeah. Uh, was he, yeah, yeah, he, he was okay, but uh, I think, like I said to you last time, I was talking to you that um, he tried too hard to be cool. Do you think so? And yeah, yeah, yeah. He was, yeah. you know, and ladies and gentlemen, you know that kind of stuff, and, and uh, just a bit too much. Yeah. Uh, Keely is Keely's a good presenter. I, I, I think he's, he's a very good presenter. Yeah. Um, yeah. as a comedian, I wouldn't have been a huge fan of his, you know, you know. But uh, I, I think he's doing he's doing a good job. Um, what what did you mean? It's only, it's only three in. What but, what did uh, you mean when you said that you, you you'll draw the line at the country and western show? Oh bless the saves! Oh no! Oh no! <laughs> you're not oh, you're not God. a fan of country and western music, are you? I I like genuine country and western right. music uh, fan. You know, I'm, I'd be a big fan of <clears throat> the likes of Johnny Cash or yeah, yeah. Chris Christopherson. Um, you know, people like that, but I, I just cannot understand uh, somebody maybe from, you know, like Donegal and he's singing, singing with an American twang. Like, it's, it's just, it, oh, no, no. Yeah, it get, it I, 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 you, I won't be watching that, friend. Yeah. Definitely not, not. Not even the open credits will I watch that, no. Right, well, it's going to, going to be very interesting. Yeah, I mean, in the past, those country and western shows, I mean, they they got huge. Oh, Aud- they, they, audiences, they do. You know, they do, yeah. and I, I know country and western is is, is popular. You know, mm. but, yeah. Um, not, not for me, thanks. No, yeah. no. Now, for, I mean, for, they're, for they're a living, to... for a living, I play some country music, but I I was never happy with how those country and western shows were yeah. done on the late late show because people were singing a few lines of a song. They were trying to fit in too many people, and it was the same people time and time and time. Yeah, again. that's you know, that's, that was, that's you know, totally. Yeah. I mean, they were wheeling out, uh, you know, the likes of T.R. Dallas and. The, um, probably Nathan Carter and all these guys, and, and yeah. all we Daniels and all, all e- e- Even the way you're naming them out there, I know you don't have them in your CD collection. Uh, funny enough, no, <laughs> no, no. And as for yourself, trying you know playing the country and western, you, you can actually get help for that. You know that. <laughs> no, I try. I tried. I tried, James. It's, it <laughs> you can get counselling for it. <laughs> But tell me, what? Where do you see the future of uh, Patrick Keelty? Then, do you think it's going down the road of those American shows? And uh, you know, um, to a certain degree. Mm. Uh, and I, I know people have, have criticised before the the, the um, setting and everything. Mm. Um, the, you know, the set that that he has there. But if you you think back, arguably the, the best um, interviewer was uh, the late Michael Parkinson. Oh, yeah, super. And Parkinson used to just have three ordinary, you know, three, three or four mm. ordinary, ordinary seats. Mm. And, and that was it. Um, it, it wasn't on about the set. But he, he was a master. And, and do you know what I, I, just observing him as a broadcaster myself, he listened. That that was his main skill. He listened to people. James. Yeah, he, he, he did. And, and, and it wasn't all about him. Like, yeah, uh, yeah, for sure, you know, um, yeah. Um, if you look, watch the the Graham Norton shows at any time, you know he's he, he kind of makes it all about himself. Yeah. yeah. And uh, one one thing I was actually thinking about, you, you know, um, 
people are saying, you know, the, the likes of Graham Norton gets all the A-listers and all that. Mm. He's had the likes of Robert De Niro on so, so many times. And he's got no... Per- he's a fantastic actor. I'm a huge fan of him. Mm. But he's, he's uh, as, as for being um, an interviewer, interviewee, not... He's, 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 I, haven't, I haven't heard him being interviewed now, but he, he doesn't have much to say for himself, does he? No, no, definitely not. No, no. Yeah. Yeah. I, re- I remember seeing Robert Mitchum with, uh, um, oh God, my my head has gone today. The, the the Limerick presenter who was so big, Wogan, and oh, Wogan, yeah. and oh, his answers was... were just yup. <laughs> yeah, you know, it Absolutely. was it was really excruciating. That was so yeah, so, yeah. You know, but uh, so later on, they probably have to try and you know, get get a better um, variety of of, of um, guests on. But do you, do you not think, James, that you know, so-called ordinary people, and there's no such thing as a really uh, an ordinary person. Everybody's unique. But ordinary people from around this country would make such amazing guests. I mean, we have people on this program that that oh, would yeah. make amazing guests on the Actually, Late Late Show. Oh, 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 gone doubt. Definitely. Yeah. Do you know to hear yeah. their story and their life stories and you yeah, know, like yeah, and, you know. and like we 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 have plenty of um, top class uh, sports people in this country that you yeah. put on, you know, and. Uh, Plenty good good uh, musicians in that. Like gave Moncrief on last week. Now who was very very good. Yes. Yeah. You know, but super super <laughs> band, Yeah. Yeah. I see but, where uh, your musical taste is lying now. All right. I I have a very um. Would you? Uh, yeah. Music. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, anything from Andrew Bocelli to uh, the Clancy Brothers. Mm. Uh, U2 oh, well, that's, you know, that's very eclectic but, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. No. No. A big big you know a big range of. Right, but, um, but poor old Nathan they, Carter isn't uh, included. Oh, mother of God! Jesus, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> that that'd be like penance. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> I um, love it. I love it. So you'll have you'll have all your filming the Bagley and Margot. And well, it'll be interesting to see will they all be trundled out again, or will he go down the road of introducing some of the new? Because I I know you don't like country music, but there's some very talented young people out there singing country music, you know. And uh, so yeah, look, the, probably is. I, I mean, you have the likes of Una Healy has has done. Sure. Uh, you know, she's leaning towards that. Now, yeah, you know, so. super, super performer too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and a guitarist woman, of course, of as well. Of course, of course. Sure, we'll see what happens, James. Real pleasure today, and look after yourself. And I'll send you all um, my CDs as well, James, just for your collection. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I look forward to it. <laughs> Thanks, James. Oh, look after you. Find you. <laughs> of course, of course, of course. <laughs> bye, bye, James. Bye, 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 bye. Great bye. to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Um, it's in our nature. It's a photo uh, exhibition that will be held in Thurlistown Library on the seventh of November. Now there will also be an auction for a signed Tipperary jersey. Um, by Noel McGrath and all proceeds will be going to the Surehaven Cancer Support Centre in Thurlis and James Connolly is one of the uh, attendants at the library and also curator of this particular exhibition and he joins me now. James, good morning to you. Good morning, friend. How are you? I'm very well indeed, James, and great to talk to you today. Uh, Tell me about the exhibition. How how did this come about, James? Uh, It came about, uh, as you know, it's a very popular place to exhibit uh, the Source Library and uh, Somebody that was booked in for an exhibition uh, uh, had to drop out for some reason, whatever reason or another. But I was asked by the manager, Jerry Flannery, there, would I have anything to contribute uh, to fill up things? So I'm there. I put up all the exhibitions there um, on the library side of things. So uh, I said I had a lot of photos. He knew I had photos and I took the photos. So um, I said I'd do it. Uh, 
So I started over a year ago, I think I was in your year about it in Holy Cross. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> One day. <laughs> and the year is gone just like that. So uh, I got, uh, got down to work, uh, got my collection together of all nature uh, photo- photos. Uh, it's easy to photograph nature because they don't give out to you or they don't talk back to you. They just, they just yes. appear there in front of you as you're going along. So um, then I to go to get the get the posters ready, get the, the photographs framed. And it's after being a busy year, to be honest now. So that's probably why it flew. So, oh, yeah. it's, a, it, it's great. Did you always photograph nature, James? Was that your thing? Yeah, it's 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 just to get out and about, friend. Yeah. Um, I mean, everybody should, everyone has a camera on their phone mm. now. Uh, um, my own wife bought me a, a good, decent camera. And when I got interested in it, mm. um, I got interested in it to give myself a bit of a break from, uh, I used to suffer a little bit from depression and stuff there one time after witnessing an accident there years ago. And uh, that actually saved me. That kept me going. Did it um, indeed. Oh. Getting out and about there, getting out into the woods like Templemore Town Park, the Forest Park there down in Port Humana. Heading to the beaches to take your camera with you wherever you go, and there's always going to be a shot somewhere to be got, you know. And of course, it brings you into the moment as well, which is what we all should be doing, James, for our mental health, I suppose. You know. You're... Yeah, it's just it's just to get out there, friend, yeah. and um, yeah. just even just to be walking through, have your phone there. Like uh, the auto the auto button on the camera and the phone camera is great because something just pops up at you and you have it there. But to get off the auto button and get into the workings of the camera, mm. you have to kind of pick your moments and you have to pick your shots, you know. So that's a bit more technical, like a bit too technical for me be times there. But uh, I'm sure it's not. nice to get out, you know. And, and, and is it a mixture of, you know, flora and fauna and birds? And is, is it a total mixture of stuff? That, that you it's, it's, it's a mixture, friend, from everything, from your everyday horse fly that'll bite you there someday when you're going around. Yeah. Uh, out in the nettle in your back garden, um, butterflies out in your flowers there in your front garden when you're in and out. Um, you know, all these kinds of things. Then you have, let's say, seagulls when you're at the seaside. You have beach shots. You have sea scenes. Um, everything like that, yeah. It's just uh, Very good. A, big, a, a big mixture. I have one uh, particular photograph there that I took, and it's significant because it was taken at a place called Library Point down in Killarney. Yes. And... Uh, it's just a picture of a blue boat and it's just this, the, the moored in, in under trees and the scenery, the, the nice water behind it. And uh, that would be one of the most expensive, that would be the most expensive uh, photograph I'd have on display uh, in the exhibition. And uh, how, how do you mean expensive, James? Well, uh, I'm trying to keep all the pricing down. I'm, the, what money I raise... Oh, expensive is, in terms of what you're looking for. for oh, yes, of course. Oh, yeah, yes, the price, yes, right, yeah. Yes, it, yes. It's, um, I'm trying to keep all the prices down because... Looking in today's climate, people mm. don't have that much money, but uh, they're great to help any causes, and the cause we're going for is Surehaven Cancer Support Centre in Torres. Right, and all the proceeds from the sale as well, going going to Surehaven? From sale to Surehaven, and uh, we're starting off now, uh, launching today on Tip FM, of course. I'm a big Tip FM listener. Thanks, James. <laughs> and... Um, Morning, I actually, uh, when I got a call this morning, there I had to turn down Chip FM to hear the phone call. <laughs> <laughs> Very so good indeed. And and the auction, are you starting that today as well, James? That's yeah, the official launch today um, for all that on Chip FM couldn't be on a better place. Okay. Um, uh, 
the jersey was donated by uh, Noel McGrath in conjunction with Intersport Elveries mm-hmm. and um, was framed by Clonmel Glass and Mirror Forest. Mm-hmm. It's a fine frame. It's um, one metre by 80 centimetres and uh, it would adorn any wall. Uh, uh, mm. it's, it's going to be, uh, it's an unusual one because Noel has signed it himself and Noel will be actually launching the exhibition for me on the 7th of November and he will also present uh, whoever is the highest bidder on this at 6 o'clock on the 6th of November. Uh, and we'll can, people, down to that can people start bidding now, James? They, they can start. And how, uh, how, how can they do that? Friend, they can bid by ringing me on 086. I'll give them a minute there to get the viros yeah, out. Yeah. Go, run, go running there, let's get your viros. Can you hear them? <laughs> can you hear them running? You can. Well, I can hear them going there now. They're just scuttling around there now. So <laughs> Very good. So give us that number uh, then, James. Uh, 086 849 5534. Very good. Emma will have that uh, anyway, but it's 086 849 5534. Sorry, James, um, I interrupted you. You were going to say. No, that, uh, that gets directly to me. Okay. And um, they can also meet me. I'm always hanging around the old doors of the library there. That's where I give me days meeting people and talking to people and yeah. finding out what's wrong with people. And we have the old chat. Uh, a thing that's kind of gone over society now is people stopping up to talk to people. So. Yeah, of course uh, it is. Well, sure, it's great can, that you're, that you're doing that as well. And the 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 jersey and the frame jersey that would be ideal for a pub or for a hotel or something like that, wouldn't it? Would be just pub just or a perfect. hotel or, yeah. or a or a village cafe or oh, good whatever yeah, you know. Oh eight six eight four nine five five three four. So so get get bidding now. Before I let you go, James, how are you now? By the way, how are you doing health wise? Oh, are you all right? Yeah. Look, at, I'm doing good, sure. I'm as good as I always was, sure. I was always that bit daft, Fran, you know. <laughs> that's allowed, James. That's but allowed. That's, yeah. that's allowed. But between the dancing, friend and, and getting out and listening to yourself and Uriel and all the other bands that come to the different venues, um, we have to keep that going. The other listener before me there wasn't too gone in the country exactly, music exactly. scene. But we'll, we'll have to drag him out, I think, James. Ah, just forget about him, <laughs> All right, but so. All right, we're, so. We're definitely into it, and... Um, uh, the, the, I just like to, to, the dance and in the photography as well. But I just like to, to welcome everyone that wants to come on the night. It's open and it's free. Uh, there'll be donated. You can make donations if you like at the venue uh, on the seventh of November at seven o'clock. Mm. And you can also uh, buy uh, photographs, of course, frame photographs, oh, right. which was which was nicely done and compiled by um, Hickey's Pharmacy there, the photo centre in Torles. Uh, I, the Debbie and Eamon and Brian Maher there to be. Eamon Maher and, or Eamon Brennan and yeah. Brian Maher to be glad to see the back of me because I've been in and out we'll ch- swap this and we'll change that I doubt we'll that do though. I, I'd so. say they're delighted to see you James we wish yeah. you well we'll keep mentioning that for you as well before the 7 but in the meantime the bidding starts now where the jersey is concerned and that number again is 086 849 James look yeah. after yourself thank you Fran thanks for giving me the time on air there Welcome. I appreciate it and I'll be in touch I'll be in touch with you with any update and how the bidding is going look, okay? for, look forward to it James mind yourself and thanks very much indeed Tip today with Fran Curry With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie Still getting lots and lots in about St. Anthony. I promise you we will get back to it tomorrow because people give me variations on the prayer to the good saint and uh, 
we're still hearing about the fact that he's very expensive but very effective. Um, Susan O'Donoghue is with me, psychotherapist and a relationships mentor. Are you a St. Anthony person, Susan? I would say that. Would you? I would, I would if I was stuck, yeah? <laughs> if I lost something and I was looking for it. You wouldn't, you're not, no? No, 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 I just, I, I haven't done. I wouldn't I, have, I'd, have I'd say... It. Very rarely, but I would have in the past, definitely, yeah? Yeah, I can't get over the amount of interest in it. We did this as a kind of a throwaway item and... Uh, yeah, you know, yeah. Huge, well, your faith in, you know... Huge interest, isn't it? Absolutely yeah. brilliant. You're going to talk to us today about exploring exploring and understanding bullying. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's a, it's a big topic, isn't it? And I suppose it comes up a lot this time of year, you know, when kids go back to school. And I think even when we go back to work ourselves, because it doesn't just happen, you know, adults bully too, (laughs) for sure. But um, I think for parents, it can be at the forefront of their minds. You know, it's so hard to leave your child go to school and know that they're so unhappy there, you know. Mm. And I suppose just to keep, and especially teenagers, because they don't come home and tell us a lot anymore. You know, they're kind of... You know, they kind of end up going to their rooms a lot and they don't... That that relationship, you know, you really need to work on it with them, you know. So I suppose mm. it's it's like things just to look out for, just to give you an idea, you know what I mean, about what might be going on for them and how you can support them in it. And, you know, for me, I suppose it's always about, you know, maybe keeping an eye out to see how the teenager is. Are they, you know, I know teenagers kind of, they have so much hormonal stuff going on and, you know, they're breaking away anyway. So there's going to be stuff going on anyway. But you'll notice certain things that'll be really out of the ordinary, like maybe they're very touchy and moody and irritable. Now I can hear people saying, they're that anyway. <laughs> but, they're always like yeah. that. Yeah. But, you know, like you'll see them, you know, pull away maybe when they're off school, they're way happier than when they're in school. You know, you'll have the school refusal a lot of the time. You know, they'll be more carefree when they're off. Maybe um, refuse to talk about school or friends. Now, I know they kind of do that anyway, but you'll notice that it's extreme or that it's, you know, getting worse. Um, they might look for extra pocket money. They might ask to be picked up from school and dropped off to school. Maybe it's a bus issue. Do you know what I mean? You'll get hints along the way. But I suppose it's for us as parents because we're so busy. I mean... What parent, you know, isn't busy? We're, we're always either picking up, dropping off. For some of us, it's work. For, you know, you're just on the go 24-7. So I suppose it's just to take a bit of time out to see how is it for them. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And to touch in with them the whole time. Because for me, relationship is everything. Yeah, if you can keep the relationship going and if you can connect with them and stay silent. Because to me, relationship and communication, it's all about listening. You know, it's not about speaking or it's not about advising or it's not about telling them what to do. It's always about listening. That's the most important part. And as a parent, because I suppose we're so, what would you call it, invested in our children, right? We want to save them the whole time. We don't want them to go through the pain. We don't want them to go through misery. But that's part of being able to support themselves on their own when they get older. Building resilience. It's it's part of it, do you know what I mean? So they will have to go through and get their knocks. What is bullying all about, Susan? Okay, bullying, if we look at it right, cut right back to the core, it's a behaviour, yeah? So we've talked about behaviours before and, like, behaviours like that are unconscious, right? We adapt them when we're young, right? And we do it because we get seen for it. Um, It's a way to survive in the world. Uh, It gets us recognition. It makes us feel part of a group. You know, it's all these things that it does for us. Now, I know that there's, you know, what would you call it, side effects to it, if you want. You know what I mean? But that outweighs that connection that you're seen for what you do, you get uh, recognition, um, people notice you, you know, you're just not left there. Plus, like, there's always a fear behind bullying, just the very same way as there's always a fear behind being passive. 
you know it's a fear of maybe thinking that you're not good enough it's always about uh, self-esteem you know and because if I'm really in a good place right and I won't need to bully anyone right I'll have compassion around it for other people and it's always about then how do we handle that now as, as adults, you know, for teenagers or even as adults for adults, you know, if somebody's mm. getting bullied? Because it comes up a lot now in um, my work with people, you know, whether it's teenagers, whether it's um, adults, whatever, getting bullied in the workplace, whatever it is, you know, uh, it's, it's, it's hard to find that solidness in yourself. And people feel like they don't have the right to assert themselves and say, hang on now a minute, do you know what I mean? And I think when we separate out and realise that bullying is out of fear, yeah, it comes from a place of fear. It, it's not that that person came out of the womb, for want of a better word, wanting to be a bully, yeah? But this is how they've decided unconsciously that they're going to navigate their way through life, yeah? The very same way as a person who comes out of the womb doesn't want to be passive, but this is how... They've, this is the behaviour they mm. adapt. This is learned behaviour. This, this is behaviour yeah. that they adapt creatively, yeah. right, and uniquely to them, to suit them. Because every bully won't bully the same way, if you know what I mean. You know, they'll all have their uniqueness about how they bully and they'll pick on certain types of people and they'll know unconsciously, because there's always a knowing there, which will work for them and which won't, right? And they'll know when to back off if it's not working. So I think it's about... Um, I suppose for our children, it's about really reassuring them that the bullying is nothing to do with them if they're being bullied, yeah? That's always 100% about the bully. Right, but if they're made very unhappy and if they're fearful, for example, yeah. of physical violence or whatsoever, yeah. they won't be taken into account that the bully has his or her own issues. You know? Yeah, but I think when they know that it's not because it's something they do, because, you know, sometimes yeah. Yeah. if we're in conflict with somebody, you know, we can say... Hush, that's my fault, sure, mm. I said that, right? Yes. But I think being very clear around the bullying is 100% about the bullying. That's their stuff, right? Yes. Now, what do we need to do to safeguard you in the face of this? Right? Mm. And I think if it's a teenager, it's about empowering the teenager. So ask them what they need, mm. you know? This is where not giving that advice comes in, yeah? We're jumping in and trying to save them, trying to safeguard mm. them. Safeguard them is different to me than overprotection, right? Because okay. safeguarding them is asking them open questions. What can I do to support you? Mm. What's best here for you? Now, if the bullying is extreme and they can't seem to come up with something, of course, 110%, schools need to step in, adults need to step in, parents, whatever, you know, guards, whatever is needed needs to come on board. But what I'm saying to you is what we really need to do with children who are being bullied is to empower them, mm. yeah? We want them to be able to stand in their own two feet. So if I just jump in and I overprotect them, right, for one, or I protect them, if you want to call it that, but if I jump in and I sort everything out and I fix everything, right, what's going to happen the next time if mm. I'm not there? Mm. Right? So now I want to empower my child, so I'm going to yes. ask the open questions. What can I do for you here? So you let the answers evolve from that then and emerge from, from the To time. show them that they have the that power. That they have the power, yes. They, they're the ones who can take care of themselves. They can make decisions and around it. And do you it. advocate, because we see it in all these sort of fictitious things in schools where eventually the person who was bullied confronts the bully and there's a, a row and the bully gets knocked down and all of a sudden then, you know, the, the roles have reversed in some way. Of course, real life doesn't work like that. No, no. And I think, uh, I know I'm probably going to get lambasted for this now, right? But I will explain myself. I think the bully needs as much compassion as the person who's being bullied. Of course. I'm turning off the text machine now. 110%. <laughs> because yes. I do believe, right, that 
both people have created a unique uh, unconscious way to survive in this world, yeah? So, of course, we're going to protect, we're going to safeguard, we're going to make sure that this bullying doesn't impact others, yeah? Mm. But if I'm going to run in there now, right, and if I'm going to, um, you know beat this bully up whether it's with verbal or whether it's with you know or you'll get this and you'll get that and you're not to do this and you're not to do that if I come at it from that angle who's the bully now? So as I say role reversal here yeah, so Do you know what I'm yeah. saying? So if I come in as an adult right as a conscious mature adult we'll, <laughs> we'll say that right <laughs> but if I come in with that attitude and it's so hard for teachers and parents and who aren't um, I suppose used to looking at it from this perspective but it is a perspective that mm. needs to be looked looked at from because if I come in now and I'm going to punish I'm going to look at this on a surface level where the bully is going to be punished they're going to be whatever thrown out of school for a couple of weeks or you know the whole school's going to be talking about whatever it is I'm not addressing the deeper issue right I'm just this is just like and a I know what your answer is going to be but I'll put it to you anyway is there not a case to be made that, you know, some of these are just a bad little fecker who's just an evil little... None of us come out of the womb bad little feckers, do we? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't believe that. That's you, my do belief. Do you not? No, right. I okay. don't. I no, believe... that's fair enough. Yeah, yeah. like, yeah. look at a baby. Yeah. You know, who's going to call a brand new baby a bad little fecker? Like, yeah. it's just, you know what I mean? So to me, it's, we take on behaviours, right, We that we need to take on to survive this world. Now, whether they're... Like, why do we look at passivity as a good one? That if you're passive, that's grand. Mm. You're not bothering anyone, right? Mm. So you can go ahead with that one, right? But if you're a bully, now I'm going to stop you. I understand from the sense that, but both of them have the same impact on the person. Yes. Yeah. yeah? yeah. Both of them have the same. They're, Very they're, interesting. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. so to me, that's what that Actually, I remember matters. going to school, there was a bully who was also a victim, would you believe? He mm. bullied some kids younger than him. But he was also being bullied. Yeah. You know. Yeah, learnt behaviour. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's amazing because all behaviour makes sense. That's the bottom line. It doesn't matter where you come from, what you do, what the behaviour is. It doesn't mean that the, that the behaviour is okay by any stand mm. at all. It doesn't mean that that behaviour is, t- is to be tolerated. But what it does mean is if we just put a band-aid on the top of it, right, and we put sanctions around it and say, you can't do this, you can't do that, you're going to be punished, blah, 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 blah. What are we doing now? Mm. We're bullying. Yes. Yeah? yeah, we're not looking for the deeper meaning of the behaviour. How is it that this is your way to survive? How is it that you're in a place that you don't feel... That's what you need to investigate. To yeah. me, that is, yeah. Yeah? yeah. yeah, And I'd love this to be in schools. I'd love it to be in workplaces. And it is coming into, you know what I mean? It is in workplaces, I'd say, that understanding of it is kind of coming in a bit. Not as much as it needs to, not on the deeper level. But I think that's what's needed, you know what I mean? It's about always reflecting on our own behaviour to see where we're at too. Of course. Yeah. The difference... From my day, I suppose, Susan, is the bully can chase you into your bedroom yeah. now because of social media. You yeah, know, and that's another thing now. And do I allow my children under at what age to have, I suppose, items in their bedroom that they can be bullied? And, like, it's so hard as a parent now to kind of police that, right? Yeah. Because social media is everywhere. You know what I mean? You can't get away from it. And it's so hard to, I suppose, um, look at devices and try and put things in place that can stop stuff from coming in. Like, personally, myself, I don't think any child should have a phone under 12 unless it's necessary. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Why would you need Mm. it? Do you know what I mean? 
the the war at home, I suppose. Well, you know what? Yeah, yeah. that's you know? parenting. Yeah. yeah, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, I don't see a need for it. Do you know what I'm saying? Um, I suppose even my own kids would have said to me, oh, you know what I mean? I need a phone because what will I do if I can't call you? Like, they're brilliant. They're abs- I said, sure, ask a teacher, can they call me? You yeah. know, like that's, you know, how did we survive without phones years ago? Yeah. And uh, hand on heart here now, I had to put away my phone on holidays. I just left it there because I said, I ain't bringing it with me. It's staying where in the room because otherwise I have that tendency to look at it. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I, well, I feel a hypocrite mm. whenever I talk about phones because I'm addicted to the bl- yeah. bloody things. If there's people listening today, Susan, and they might have a child who's affected by some of what we've spoken about here, whether they're the passive one or indeed if they're the bullies, yeah. what would you say to them? Susan? I would say to them that as a parent, generally for me, right, like I've, I've met children who have been, and that's part of my, my work, but I always think that it's more beneficial to meet the parent, right? I think that the parent... Generally, parents are in fear. They don't know what to do. And how is it then if your child is the one who's been bullied or is the bully? What's the difference? And, and what's the different emotions that come up for you? Mm. Do you know what I'm saying? Are you mortified if your child is bullying? Is it shame? Is it, you know mm. what I mean? So we need to keep away from threatening well, behaviours. But well, what if I'm in denial that my child is a bully and say, oh, my Johnny is not a yeah, and then how is it that you're in denial? That's why I like to meet the parents. Okay. You know right. what I mean? That's yeah. why I love to sit with them and with no um, judgment and mm. no criticism because that behaviour that my Johnny isn't a bully, that's a protective behaviour as well. Yeah, that's coming from your own story. So that's that's a place of, I suppose, how is it now that I don't see what my child is doing? Mm. as being aggressive or being, you know, threatening to another. And how is it even if I don't see it as threatening when another child says they feel threatened by it? How is it that I don't listen? Yeah. It's interesting. And do you think personality types comes into this in any way? You know, that notice, the notion of the testosterone-filled young lad who's naturally aggressive and stuff or somebody who's timid and bookish and all of that? Um, I suppose when you take different... Different people are going to... I suppose our behaviours are going to be different because we're all unique and we're all individual and it has a huge impact from our story. So I would say that, yeah, you can label things. You can say you fall into this category and you fall into that. I don't like labels because I don't think that any one of us is a category. I think we're all unique and individual. So I like to look at it more on that stance. Yes. You know what I mean? I don't like to put people in boxes. Yeah, yeah. Uh, my child was bullied in primary Loads in about yeah. this, by the way. My child was bullied in primary school. The bully's family didn't care. The principal gave the bully special treatment and I think it was afraid of the bully's parents. My child was just forgotten about in all of this and she will never forget the experience. And um, we as parents just let it go. We're sorry now that we did. We've since heard that the bully is bullying now again in secondary school. Yeah. So so it, has, it wasn't addressed. It wasn't words. addressed. And you know what? I'm so sorry to hear that. And I'm so sorry they had to go through it and their child because that's so impactful going forward. Do you know what I'm saying? And especially if the parents aren't held as much as the child and the teachers aren't held somebody needs to be holding people here in the sense of to account you mean but holding them in the sense too of supporting them to be able to assert themselves to do what needs to be done around to safeguard the child right a lot of bullying going on for beautiful children primary and secondary level but a lot of bullying is going on uh, with teachers as well people are under the illusion that school life is a bed of roses Uh, what a load of crap that's Jackie using casual today yeah we all presume now that everything's very different to certainly my day because I'm much older than you but but really? you know that, that things are very different now and that it is all a, a walk in the park but it's not sure it's so. not no no and look I my heart goes out to teachers because 
they're real people too, yeah? And people have nearly this standard that they expect mm. from different professions and different people. And, like, they've lived a life as well. You know, they've come up through and had their survival protectors. We all have them. It's part of life, yeah? But I think I always talk about being conscious and unconscious. I think it's about bringing the, uncon the unconscious protectors to consciousness so now we can reflect on them. Because if we don't have a look at them and see what's happening for us, we're never going to be able to assert ourselves or stand up for somebody else. Because if we can't do it for ourselves, we can't can't do it for of someone course, else. Yes. And what happens in your experience then? Would a child and a parent come in to you? Uh, both of them? Is well, that the generally one? what I'd get is I'd get someone ringing me and they'd say to me, oh my God, my child's being bullied. Can my child come in and see you? Yes. And I would generally say, I, I would prefer to see you as a parent. Because generally for me, like, I might see the child for an hour a week, right? But the parent is the one who's going to be with the child full time. Yeah, when they come home from school, not full time, but when they're home from school, I mean, she's going to see her, or the dad yes. is going to see him way more than I will. So for me, what's really important is that the parent gets an understanding of what's happening. Because if we don't understand the behaviour, we're never going to be able to support the child, you know? Very wise words, as always. Susan, if people want to talk to you, how can sure. they do that? It's uh, info, uh, is the email info at emotionalwellbeing.ie and it's 086 36 All right, and if you missed uh, those contact details, Emma will have them anyway. Susan, always a pleasure. Thanks very much Thanks indeed. Very much, That's it for me. Emma produced Ali, looks after our content. Stephen is on the way with the Time Tunnel on the Lunchtime Show, and I'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye-bye. Tip today with Fran Curry. With Slattery's Garage, puck on. You can't beat experience. With over 50 years maintaining Peugeot cars and vans, we like to call ourselves the experts. Call Slattery's Garage for a free vehicle health check today. 067 24111 or slatterysgarage.ie.